Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates and talk about a new roommates. movie every week. But this week on the show, we're talking about Oscar noms and answering some listener submitted questions because it's the season finale, baby. I'm your host, Corbin's vocal, and joining me, as always, is a man who many have compared to an Oscar statuette, my co-host, Cody Webb. Cody, how's this fine Tuesday treating you? Man, what an intro that was. Uh, I don't know if I compare myself to, you know, one of the greatest honors in the world, but uh, I appreciate the compliment. I'm doing great, man. Well, you know, you're tall, you're tall, skinny and white. So I figured you're kind (laughs) of pretty similar to the Ask You Statuette. uh, You got a good point there. Good point there. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited for the season finale, man. Been a good season. I think we're gonna have a fun ending. And uh, we got a couple great guests to join us today. So uh, yeah, can't really complain, man. And you know what? It's not just any Tuesday, it's Oscar nominee Tuesday, which means we finally get to discover who was able to predict the most nominees correctly all the way back in September. But of course, we cannot, cannot talk Oscar nominees, and we can't talk winners and losers without welcoming back to the show the Batman and Robin of the podcasting world, the hosts of the Rough Cut Retrospective, two former guests, Jackson Mihiron and Carter Sims, friends, Romans, compadres, how are we doing? I'm Robin. Damn it, I wanted to be Robin. <laughs> Shit. I wanted to and call I, it all I could. And I'm Batman. Nice. Hi. Good to be back. Thanks We're for having us. Look yeah. at us. Uh, Jackson's here to, you know, be the host. So I'll um, try my best. No, completely impartial, right, Jackson? I'm mostly illiterate, so I wouldn't worry about my impartialness. <laughs> so classic Robin. <laughs> we'll see how I don't even know what can... impartial means. <laughs> <laughs> see how well he can read these nominees uh yeah we, we have a great show for you guys uh first we're going to go through all the oscar noms find out who won the game that we played um and then after that stick around because cody and i are going to answer some fan submitted questions and react to some hot takes we actually already recorded that portion it was a lot of fun uh cody's shaking his head for some reason he's a hater uh but we're talking just the nominations today and if you want to hear who we think will actually win these individual awards Go check out the Rough Cut Retrospective this Friday, where we do a little Oscar pool uh, for the winners. So like I said, Jackson's our totally impartial MC for the evening. Why don't I go ahead and let him take over, explain the rules that we used, and uh, yeah, run the show. Let's hear it, Jackson. Awesome. Yeah. So for those who do not know, back in September, Carter, Corbin, and Cody did their own little nomination process, where out of the 23 Oscar categories... They predicted a nominee for 17 of them. So they left out the boring ones that none of you guys care about. Don't worry. We're not doing those. That was, I was joking, man. Don't worry, Carter. I was very upset. Best Uh, animated short is goaded. Okay. Anyways. um, (laughs) But yeah, so for those that each picked one, except for a couple categories where they picked two, which is best actor, best actress, best picture. Did you do support? I don't think you did the supportings. You just did one for the We did not. We did not. So just those three. So for a total of 20 total nominees per person with unique twist that if you use Dune, for example, in one category, you cannot use Dune in a different category. So once you use it, it's done and it's going to be very unique, very special. And I'm going to reveal the results to you tonight. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Spooky. We should point out we haven't seen these, right? Neither Cody, Corbin, or I have not seen these nominees. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're excited and staying off my phone to the best i can yeah <laughs> i haven't been able to go on twitter all day basically it's kind of tough <laughs> it has yeah. been tough 
and I, for one, have been enjoying the toxic political discourse <laughs> of Oscar nominations on Twitter. So we love it. Jealous. With that, should we get started, boys? Let's do it. I'm ready to, to hear that I won. So All right. Category one is best makeup and hairstyling. Am I starting? Yes. Okay. Me as Carter. Um, I picked the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, which was at the time a movie I did not see. And after I saw it, I was like, yeah, this is a shoo-in. Great makeup, great hairstyling. I think it's in there. Lock it in. Pew. Cody? Uh, yeah, I. Uh, this is also in September. Let's po- let's, I'll point that out many, many times. <laughs> I chose Tick, Tick, Boom, which, you know, in hindsight, isn't my worst pick out of all of them. So I'm not, like, it could make it. It's that possible. Is true. It's probably true. on the edge of... Uh, some that were considered and some of that were not, but uh, I guess it's not on there. So, uh, yeah, I believe both of you guys got this one as well, which is kind of tough. So not yeah, a great I, start. I'm predicting off the bat, but who knows? Tick, tick, boom. Andrew Garfield. Who doesn't love that guy? Come on. True. Hey, this was a big year for Andrew Garfield. If we were going to pick winner of the year, Andrew Garfield might've been the person. Uh, I took Cruella in this category. Uh, lots of makeup, lots of hairstyles. I mean, kind of obvious, right? So chart it up. Carter and I, one point. Cody, zero points. Let's hear it, Jackson. And the nominees are Coming to America. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, Eddie! Yeah! Cruella. Dune. The Eyes of Tammy Faye and House of Gucci. Oh, Gucci. But yeah, Coming to America. Who would have thought? Wow. Good wow, for that Eddie is, Murphy, huh? That is crazy. Just like that's the prosthetics and stuff, I guess. But yeah, that's strange. Did anybody dress old in that movie? Probably. <laughs> it's an Eddie Murphy movie, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but, that uh, is yeah. that is weird. Okay. First movie that, that didn't come up at all, you know, Coming to America, we never even mentioned uh, yeah, true. As, yeah. as being a potential nominee, but here it is, Coming to America. Wow. All right. Best production design. Uh, Carter went with the French Dispatch uh, purely for Wes Anderson vibes of just sick production design. I think uh, I think he had some cool sets after I've seen this movie. I uh, I'm semi confident in it, so lock it in. Booyah! Yeah, uh, my pick was the Green Knight, which in hindsight might be one of my better picks. I think got pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. This is a uh, this is one that I really needed the book just to get a point on the board because if not, my deal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, come on, the Green Knight. Great, I mean, uh, great production design. The sets were pretty sick. Just visually, very fun movie, I think. So I'm confident in this one. Yeah, I took uh, I took Eternals in this category. Bad pick. I I don't really know what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't think this movie is gonna. I don't personally. I don't think the Green Knight's gonna show up anywhere. On I would actually. Here's my take. I don't think uh, either of any three of these movies are gonna show up anywhere on these nominee lists. So really, that's what I think. But French dispatch. Yeah, I oh. bet the fresh dispatch is somewhere on here. I don't, I don't oh. buy that for a second. So we'll see. Jackson, let's hear it. What's the word? And the nominees are Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Damn. Come on, man. Not wow. great. Not great. I mean, oh, that's tough. <laughs> It all makes sense in hindsight after seeing all these movies. Like they all had sick production designs that you just said. Dang. 
the thing is all of those movies we did pretty much nominate in other categories which is what made this game so difficult yes true uh those are prop i mean i'm not gonna you know spoil anything but those are those five are probably best picture contenders at least uh so typically things that are in the best picture race get nominated for a bunch of other categories down the line and uh you know we chose three movies that are maybe on the outside looking in so not not great from us tough that is very tough i needed that cody i really did (laughs) over two and the next category is well this is a lock for cody so (laughs) best costume design Oh boy. Um, I picked what's gotta be a lock. I picked Cruella. That movie's all about costume design. So I'm locking that in and I'm proud to be locked in with another lock, which is Cody's pick. Yeah, absolutely. Game respect game out here. So I see it, but, uh, in the Heights was my pick. I think I had a great reasoning for this as well. Uh, something around the lines of, you know, they're dancing around. So it's gotta be pretty strong costumes. I back it. If it's not nominated, you know, that's on the Academy for not seeing that. But, uh, Got to be in the Heights. I mean, Gotta I, be. I don't know. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Good thing. <laughs> I, went, I went House of Gucci here. My whole idea was that, you know, it's costume design, Gucci clothing. Like, if you're going to make a Gucci movie, you got to have good clothes. I guess my failure might, if, if this isn't nominated, is that, like, they didn't really have to do a lot of designing. They just, you know, took a bunch of old Gucci and threw it on them. So mm. what's the word, Jackson? Well, do we want to play the clip for uh, Cody's reason? Well, let's, let's, we see if, let's see if Cody's right or not first. Okay. Then... Oh, I'm sure I'm right. Yeah. And the nominees are Cruella. Yes. I don't know how to say this. Cyrano? Cyrano? Oh, Cyrano. Cyrano. Peter Dinklage. The Dinkster. Dune, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. Wow, Gucci not in there. Go, Corey. Eat that. I'm sorry. I should say, wow, <laughs> in the Heights, not in there. Wow. Yeah, that's what it should be said, actually. Nightmare Alley. Wow. Nightmare Alley's getting a lot of noms already, man. I'm surprised. I didn't. I thought Nightmare Alley was going to have a, a rough day, but off to a good start. Yeah, so technically in the Heights, because, you know, Cody was talking about the dancing and stuff, which we can play in a second, it didn't make it for that. But West Side Story did get it, so maybe yeah. that logic still applies. And uh, I'm just saying. I was on the right track, yeah. Just I know, think 50, so. 50. I missed out on the 50-50. Tough stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do you want to move on to our next category or do we want to? Let's let's hear uh, this this take from Cody. Why are we running this back? Let's run it back. (laughs) Let's run it back. (laughs) But the costumes sort of look like this like old-timey, you know, sort of a different era, you would say. And also this movie where they're dancing, they're singing. So they have to be legit material. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I, I guarantee the In the Heights costumes are more durable than anything in Cruella or uh, anything that Cobra's going to pick. Durability was not, I, I guess, mean, their, their main concern. I bag that still. That's a hell of a statement. And, uh, I don't uh, really think you can't argue against that. They're the strongest uh, costumes out here. Well, it seems like the Academy did argue against it. <laughs> Oh, wow. If you would have used that reasoning for West Side Story, you guys wouldn't have said anything. That's well, West Side Story is actually like a period, like yeah, in the heights. period clothing. In the heights is modern day, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, I, it's like New York. They all dress like they're in the sixties, anyways. Who knows? But, there you uh, go. You're, you're back. Thank you. <laughs> all right, and the next category is best sound uh best sound uh i took no time to die 
um, strictly because of my Oscar history tells me that there's always a nominee in there of an action-y movie with like guns and cars. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari was my inspiration here. So that's why I took it. Uh, we'll see if it paid out. Let's see if Oscar's history does me good here. Yeah, I think this is going to be another round where both of you guys got it right and I got it wrong, sadly. I picked Coda, which I think is a more of a sleeper pick than anything else. Uh, sort of deals with, you know, the, the disability of losing your, your uh, you know, hearing and everything. Can't think of the word for some reason. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it made too much money. I don't know if the Academy even has it on its radar, but I still like to pick in general. So, Good not movie. too bad. Yeah. Oda's definitely one that's built a lot of steam in the last couple of weeks. So uh, it might, it might pop up here. I, I chose a quiet place part two. Uh, that movie came out so long ago. I mean, yeah. does it even, even remember it? It was like the first movie back in theaters. So I think that's its biggest negative is just timing. And the nominees are Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Wow. No quiet place. I was surprised. I thought all of these would have gotten it, but alas. Yeah. Coda was was cool in the way that they used the sound design. Um, Belfast, another movie we never talked about, right? Did we talk about Belfast at all? Not at all. Not even no. mention it. Man, what a great movie that is, though. Jeez. Missed out there. It was a big miss. Oh. We were sleeping on Kenneth tough well good for james bond i say booyah all right and the next category is best visual effects um i felt really good about this pick back in <laughs> september um then the movie came out and people didn't like it um <laughs> i picked eternals um in hindsight i probably should have picked just like superman or to be something safe but no i was like eternals hell yeah um we'll see i don't know i don't feel good about it yeah I picked Dune, which I assume is on here. Uh, so I'm going to get my first point. So everybody <laughs> just feel happy for me right now because I'm on the board officially. Uh, Huge. Corbin, your pick is terrible here. If you get a point out of this, it's complete complete malarkey out here. Uh-oh. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Explain your pick. I took the Matrix 4. Uh, Carter said it before <laughs> the podcast started. There was definitely visual effects in this movie. Certainly were. That's all Certainly I'll say. Were. Possibly. I didn't see it. <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> And the nominees are Free Guy, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Dune. There he is. I wanted to make him sweat a little bit. I'll get get nervous. (laughs) Wow. I picked the wrong Marvel movie. Jeez. Free Guy. Yeah, Free Free Guy. Very surprising. I was surprised by that too. All right. And the next category is best editing uh this was a throwaway category for me in september uh, i threw house of gucci in there because i didn't know where else to put it and uh i was like oh there's probably editing in it they probably did some editing so definitely don't feel good about this also with the way that it's looking right now don't see a lot of house of gucci on the board so don't feel good cody what about you yeah for this one i went with the french dispatch you know back in the day i didn't know much about it obviously you got a strong director at the helm Maybe there's good editors. So I don't know. This one could be on here. I wouldn't be too surprised if it went out of the way. So, but uh, yeah, French Dispatch, why not? Editing, I think we all kind of struggled with. Uh, I chose the Green Knight a little bit of a throwaway, but also at the same time, I was like editing 
kind of plays a role in the way the story is formed uh, with some storytelling devices. Uh, either way, I don't feel too confident, and I don't like the fact that I'm tied with Cody right now. <laughs> and, then, and the nominees are Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, The Power of the Dog, Tick, Tick, Boom. Wow. Nice. Good O for there, boys. That's tough. I'm, a, I'm like, a second half player. <laughs> yeah. I feel like out of those three, I was maybe closest on that one, too. And tick, tick, boom, has come back to haunt me again. Come on. <laughs> I think where you at for uh, freaking makeup and hairstyling, but yeah, that's tough. <laughs> Next category is best original score. I am so excited to talk about this category. Um, not for mine, but for someone else's. I picked Dune, <laughs> Hans Zimmer. Um, this was the best score I heard all year. Are you kidding? The freaking bagpipes, the drums, the guttural sounds. Give me Dune all day. Cody, please take like 20 minutes to talk about yours. Okay. No, uh, Dune's a good pick. You know, that was pretty obvious. Went with a safe choice. Uh, I, went <laughs> I went a little bit more out there. Uh, you know, back in September, supposedly there was a movie coming out called uh, Pinocchio directed by uh, Guillermo del Toro, which I believe I got wrong in the episode anyways. But um, yeah, the trailer's come out recently. You know, it looks good. It looks a little edgy. You got some fun stop motion. I'm sure the music is, uh, I mean, not music, the score is is pretty fun and, you know, out there for, for everything else. But yeah, in hindsight, I, I, said it, I said this in the episode as well. Like this movie probably won't come out, but I just want to give it a shout out anyways. So yeah. <laughs> Pinocchio, it could still make the list. I mean, who knows? Maybe, I think it was just robbed if it wasn't, but. Yeah, big fan. I, I think we need to tell the listeners that uh, Corbin has already preemptively marked it red. Uh, just so knows. <laughs> well, to be fair, it, it did not come out. It did not come out. So. <laughs> the only movie that anybody picked, which is pretty surprising considering all of the delays and COVID, yeah. uh, the only movie that did not get released uh, this year that we picked, uh, Pinocchio. And now they're making three of them this year, Cody. So you yeah. could. <laughs> what if it comes out this year and it gets nominated? Do I get a point retroactively or no? Yeah, sure. You're still going to be way behind. Right. So, hey, we're tied right now, buddy. So, what's up <laughs> my pick is uh, another Hans Zimmer score with No Time to Die. I didn't feel too confident in this, but I was like, at least, you know, I'm, I'm giving it a good shot with Hans. No chance. And the nominees are Don't Look Up, Dune. Encanto, Parallel Mothers, and The Power of the Dog. What? Wow. Encanto. Did you say Dune? I said Dune. Oh, I'm sorry. I blacked out. I was too excited. (laughs) Encanto. That took Pinocchio's spot. Yeah, come on. So, (laughs) so yeah. While Pinocchio did not get released this year, let's hear what was going through Cody's head. So I went for something very different. Uh, went for a film uh, called Pinocchio, which is supposedly coming out this year. <laughs> so I'm being directed by George Miller, and it's a stop-motion animation musical. Uh, and I, also, I wanted to bring the cast into it just to, to bring my argument up. It's got a banging cast. Tilda Swinton, Christopher Waltz, Ewan McGregor. Um, it probably won't even be released this year, if I'm being brutally honest. <laughs> <laughs> also, it probably won't even see the light of day for like the next five years. Uh, but if, if it does happen to come out, I think it will be nominated in this category. Uh, it should have great music. Uh, George Miller is obviously uh, a great director. Uh, and cats like that, they can sing, they can do it all. They got great voices. 
so yeah, th this is sort of the category I ran out on, and I'm, I'm throwing Pinocchio out there. <laughs> um, I love yeah. it. Hey, George Miller is a good director. I mean, you can't deny that. Amazing. <laughs> Happy feet. Wow. <laughs> There's probably wow. too much for us to unpack. All right. Let's stop clipping me. Let's stop clipping me and make me look dumb now. Again. Those are all the clips. I hate to break it to you. The script is brutal to you. Oh, but no. That's okay. We'll yeah, get there. Parallel um, Mothers. Wow. The next category is Best Cinematography. I went with Tragedy of Macbeth uh, because I knew at the time this movie was going to be in black and white and it was a Shakespeare film and it was a Cohen at the helm. So I was like, got to look dope. And black and white, the Academy is a sucker for black and white movies. Hence, Tragedy of Macbeth. Cody? Yeah, no, that is actually a great pick. If I had to, uh, spoilers alert, but that's definitely my top tier for who might win uh yeah i went on the opposite end uh we've all made a mistake with this movie i went the biggest for it for some reason <laughs> but i picked eternals i had some faith in chloe Zhao. she was talking about like practical effects and stuff before and then you know it came out and the cgi is terrible so yeah no chance eternals is nominated here but um, i think it's pretty good like i thought the cinematography was good it, it looked it looked yeah good. yeah yeah the cinematography i mean in general it's good it's chloe Zhao, but the movie is not going to get nominated based off of what you're seeing on screen. I'm sorry. No chance. Yeah, tough. Yeah. My pick here was The French Dispatch. Uh, obviously not feeling too confident because earlier I said I didn't think it was going to get nominated for anything. But, you know, there's also black and white portions of this movie, too. So That's true. You got that going for you. Maybe. And the nominees are Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, the tragedy of Macbeth and West Side Story. Ooh, man, Nightmare Alley, come to play. Yeah, getting a lot of love. Yeah. Power yeah. Dog has basically been nominated for everything as well. Is the French Dispatch going to get skunked? It might. Holy cow. So, Cody is noticeably on a bit of a losing streak, especially because he wanted to nominate Chloe Zhao for Best Cinematography when she was only the director of the movie. So let's hear that clip. Oh my gosh. Um, I think she could pull it out. So I'm going Chloe Zhao. Could that be back-to-back -back cinematography wins for Chloe Zhao? I think she That'd won last insane. year. Well, I do hate yeah, to, well, I hate to break. Well, I don't think she won. I think Mank won, uh, but she was nominated. Oh, did she? Okay. She, she oh, was, she won. the thing about Nomadland is she was the director, cinematographer and editor for that. She did it all. Um, Eternals. Uh, is a guy named Ben Davis doing the actual cinematography. But um, if Chloe Zhao is, you know, directing and she obviously has cinematography experience, she's going to have a, you know, a large role in uh, the way this movie works. <laughs> I like the pick. Thanks for uh, calling me out, Corbett. Thank you. Pre well, I could call you out and tell you that oh. Pinocchio is being directed by Gilmer Desporo, <laughs> not George Miller. So. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I got those mixed up. Oh, oh for two. Out. I have that on my notes. I said the wrong name. Oh, wow. <laughs> Obviously, uh, what are these ironic. clips, bro? These clips are ridiculous. That one wasn't even, that one wasn't even funny. <laughs> Just true, though. I thought it was funny. Yeah, Chloe Zhao. Yeah, she, she directed it. Uh, you know, she got her hand in it, but yeah. yeah. Corbin tried I'm to save you there. He got your back there at the beginning. All yeah. right. We have uh, reached the end of our like technical awards. So I think it's time for a little score update. In first place, we have <laughs> Carter with five predictions i believe one two three, five. and cody and corbin are both tied right now with one correct prediction wow yeah i think we corbin. should just, we should cut the pod pod yeah. here no more guests 
This dude was talking a big game earlier. I don't know. He's tied with me right now. So I'm just also I'm just Carter's hype man. This guy, uh, hell yeah, I'm here for him. I I hope Corbin gets every single one wrong and Carter gets every single one right. (laughs) My guy, Cody. We've also been, uh, you know, harping on Cody a little bit too hard. So now we got a clip about Corbin being uh, demonstrably wrong on the Green Knight getting nominated for anything. So let's hear it. Oh no. I see this that's as a sick. movie that's going to get a lot of nominations, probably not a lot of wins, but I think mm. it'll, especially these categories, that's production design, costume design, cinematography, the technicals. Yeah. Like, I think it'll, it is a very like technically impressive movie, uh, but I don't know if it'll win a lot of these categories. No green light love. They hate the green night. That so, movie's great. It's a really good movie. I, I, I don't it, think it's a bad take personally. Yeah. But. I think it was robbed in a couple categories, honestly. Absolutely. But. It was. Well, you were 50% right, uh, Corbin. You didn't get a lot of nominations and it didn't get a lot of wins. So you <laughs> that were not from <laughs> All right. This brings us into our next category, best animated movie. Uh, I went uh, with Mitchell's versus the Machines purely because it was my favorite animated movie at the time. And having not seen anything else, and it still is right now. I think it's fun. I think it's the film lovers animated movie. Mitchell's versus the Machines. Boom definitely a good pick i went more pixar you know i think they had a couple movies this year i don't even know luca though was by far the most popular i believe and i did see it and i did enjoy it so you know it's pixar they got the rep and uh i think it will be nominated so i'll take another point here nice. i went mitchell's versus the machines as well for everything carter said netflix getting their noms shout out to them power the dog and mitchell's versus the machines supremacy huge don't look up and the nominees are <laughs> Encanto, Flea, Luca, Rhea and the Last Dragon, and the Mitchells versus the Machines. Ooh, sweating it out there. Our first, <laughs> our first we're, category, but we were all got it. Please Look please. at us. <laughs> Big animated guys. Oh, yeah. Flea, Rhea. Nice. Yeah, Rhea and the dra- Last Dragon. That one's kind of surprising, I feel like. That came out so long ago. Wow. Yeah. And the next category is Best Original Screenplay. I went with my boy, Adam McKay here, who has been nominated every single time he's put one up, I think. I went with Don't Look Up. Uh, I think he'll go three for three, just in nominations. So Don't Look Up, Adam McKay. Yeah, definitely a good pick. Uh, If we were picking in hindsight, I'd pick that as well. But uh, I went with Last Night in Soho. Obviously, the guy, Edgar Wright. I don't know, I'm kind of nervous because... There hasn't been too many nominations on the technical side with everything, but I think Edgar he's got the rep. You know, it is a decent movie, so we'll see. Last night, why not? I also took Don't Look Up. I know Cody was very mad that Carter and I matched on two picks in a row, but I think we were two for two on two picks in a row. So let's hear it, Jackson. And the nominees are Belfast, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, The Worst Person in the World, and Don't Look Up. Whoa, the worst person in the world. Yes. That's big time. That movie ain't in English, boys and girls. I think it's like Danish or Swedish or something. I think you're right. I thought it's it was one French. of those two. Could be a, a European language. We'll go with that. Wow. That's nice. Sorry, Cody. Yeah, that's tough. That's all right. And the next category is best adapted screenplay. Uh, screw me. I'm not getting a point here. I picked uh, The Humans. Finally. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I had four in a row. Um, I haven't heard anyone talk about this movie. I saw it. It was just fine. I picked it because it was based on a play. And I was like, oh, the Academy loves plays in the movies. But I haven't heard anyone talking about it since it came out. I think it just came out quietly on Showtime or something. Um, So not confident in that. But I am somewhat confident in Cody's, I think. Yeah, we're switching sides here. Uh, you had a, you moved, you picked a movie I, I still don't think I've ever heard of. And, uh, <laughs> Not worth your time. I picked a shoe So uh, West Side Story, I mean, it's good. obviously got a lot of critical attention. And uh, I would assume it's nominated here. So I'll take another point. Yeah, appreciate it. Nice. I went the last duel. Uh, you know, it was it was more of just the nostalgia of the, the Matt and Ben of it all is what I was hoping would pull it out. And I don't know. They didn't really campaign too hard. This movie made like five million dollars at the box office and uh then everyone forgot about it because it literally left theaters a week later and was never to be seen again such a bummer and the nominees are coda drive my car dune the lost daughter and the power of the dog oh Oh my god that's bad robbery highway robbery we just witnessed that feels like a snub Drive my car. Wow. Another foreign language film. Also the worst person in the world, Norwegian. Norwegian. Oh, nice. Wow. Drive my car, for sure. Yeah, that's tough. (laughs) Don't get called international films, by the way. Wow. Not foreign. Yeah, it's not foreign language anymore. Come on. Get with the times. Well, it is in a foreign language, for the record. Well, it is. It's not incorrect. All right, mister. (laughs) Anyways. And the next category is Best Director. Here we go. My guy, PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Uh, I loved this movie. I, there are a lot of controversy online about it. I think people are reading the movie the wrong way. I think it's a beautiful movie, and it has to do all with Paul Thomas Anderson. Licorice Pizza. Give me to it. Definitely good pick there. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know there. I think it is a good pick, but I don't think it's going to get nominated. I took uh, Nia DaCosta for Candyman, which is a movie I do enjoy, and I think Nia DaCosta deserves, you know, more attention. But this did come out pretty early on in the year, and I don't think it's getting much Oscar buzz, so probably not going to get nominated. I went last night in Soho, Edgar Wright. I just, I was pretty disappointed by this film, all in all. Uh, I do think Edgar Wright's a pretty good director. I think Scott Pilgrim is, like, one of the better directed movies of the last 10 years, or I guess probably... 12 at this point uh but i don't think this is also good carter is just destroying us at this point so let's just let's hear it jackson so good and the nominees are kenneth brenna belfast risuke hamaguchi drive my car wow. paul thomas anderson licorice pizza jane campion the power of the dog and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Wow, Steven wow. snuck in there. Wow, the love for Drive My Car is wild. Yeah, that's actually really cool. I, I would never it. guess it. Millionaires. Wow, good for them. I've heard, for I've heard a lot of good things, but it's three hours long. So. Yeah, it's a journey. Just driving a car for three hours? I don't know. I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else is driving the car. They're driving my right. car. Good point. And the next category is Best Supporting Actor. Um, I felt really good about this pick uh, early on. 
Uh, I picked Jason Isaacs in Mass, which was by far the saddest movie I saw this past year. Um, I don't think anyone's been talking about it. And I think that that is just blasphemy. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's going to be there, but I highly recommend this movie if you want a good cry introspective time. Mass, Jason Isaacs. I could always use a good cry. Um, I took Adam Driver for The Last Duel, which I've been hyping up for a while. But I don't believe he's going to be nominated for this, sadly. I could be dead wrong, but I'd be very surprised. But uh, yeah, big Adam Driver guy. I, I think uh, no regrets with this pick. I'd take him pretty much any other Oscar season as well. Nice. Yeah, I went, uh, this, you know, Cody likes to say that the Matrix 4 was my worst pick, but I think this was my worst pick going Benicio Del Toro, no sudden move. I just didn't have any idea what to do here. So I, I picked somebody who was a supporting actor in a movie. So I think we're going 0 for 3 again. And the nominees are Claren Hines for Belfast, Troy Katsu for Coda, Jesse Plemons for Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Schmidt-McPhee for Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog, unite! Power of the Dog's going off. That's Mm -hmm. actually crazy. Nominated basically every category. Give him two there. Wait, um... Yeah, that's tough, but can I just really quickly go back and just realize that Denis Villeneuve didn't get nominated for Best Director for Dune? That is true. That's, yeah. That's that's bonkers. Holy shit. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, supporting actor, we suck. That is crazy. What the hell? Jeez. Okay. Wow. All right. And the next category is Best Supporting Actress. Um... I'm thinking I picked the wrong Coda actor here. Um, I picked Marley Matlin for Coda, um, who won an Oscar previously for a sim- very similar role. Um, it could happen. We'll see. Coda was a, just, a, just a heartwarming film. But I'm glad there's a nominee for an acting performance in there. But we'll see. Marley Matlin. Yeah, definitely good. I think uh, you might be right there. But uh, I went Kate Blanchett, Nightmare Alley. Uh, I think she might have even been like the top billing female. So I don't know if this is a great pick, but I'd be surprised if she's on there. So yeah, we'll see. Kate Blanchett, obviously very, very good actress, but uh, Nightmare, Ar- Nightmare Alley, excuse me, has been getting noms as well. So that's true. I'd be surprised here, but uh, I highly doubt it. Corbino? I went Kirsten Dunst, Power of the Dog. Uh, this might actually be a chance for me to gain some ground, even though I'm pretty sure there's no chance I could beat Carter at this point, but I have faith in uh, in Mary Jane. And the nominees are Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, and oh gosh, and oh my gosh, and Juan. Okay, I don't know how to pronounce this person's oh, name. Oh, Anjane Ellis. What's her name? Yeah, King Richard. Yes, for King Richard. So sorry on that on that butchery. Wow. Nice job, Corbin. Finally. Kirsten Dunst out of nowhere. Oh, Cody hated on that pick very heavily. Oh, too. I definitely did. Kirsten Dunst, she's a fucking terrible actor. <laughs> I still back it. She was good. She was good in it. All right. And the next category is best actor. Uh, so we get two picks here. Mm-hmm. I picked my first one was Benedict Cumberbatch in the power of the dog, which I feel good about. And I also feel very good about Will Smith in King Richard, which I believe at the time also Cody was giving a shit about picking Will Smith. 
for King Richard. I definitely um, would. Yeah. Uh, Will Smith, not a good actor. But uh, I my picks, I'm feeling semi-confident. My first one is obviously Denzel for uh, Tragedy of Macbeth. I assume that's a shoe-in, but I'll probably be wrong. My second one, I threw out uh, Oscar Isaac for the card counter. Uh, interesting pick in hindsight. I think back then that was actually a decent pick. That movie's getting some buzz, and I do like Oscar Isaac as an actor. But I would also assume he has no chance of getting nominated. So I'll take one out of two and be happier. I went, I went two picks I'm feeling confident about. Obviously, both of you have also chosen each of them. So I went King Richard, Will Smith, really great performance, one of my favorite movies of the year. And then Denzel doing Shakespeare. I mean, if that doesn't get a nominee, then I don't think the Oscar should even exist anymore. True. All right. And the nominees are Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for Tragedy of Macbeth. There you go. Andrew Garfield. I did not expect that one either. I feel like they had... Good for Andrew. Yeah, good for him. I'm pretty happy for that. One extra one. But yeah, big ups to that guy. Yeah, and on top of that, let's roll the clip of Cody hating on Will Smith. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I also think Will Smith will get an Oscar nod with King Richard. Wow. I think, I think Cody, you don't realize that this is the time. This, I almost feel like this is a guarantee, even if the performance isn't that good. <laughs> He's been I through so much. Entanglements, man. Get him a yeah. nom. <laughs> Who would have um, thought the guy from Gemini Man was going to be best actor? <laughs> <laughs> not me. <laughs> not a Gemini Man fan, Cody? I did say he, he might get nominated, to be fair. But that is, I mean, the guy from After Earth and, and Gemini Man is might be the best actor of the year. So He's strange. winning. He's winning, Cody. I just want to make that very clear. I wouldn't be surprised at all, honestly. Yeah, I back it. Big Will Smith guy. Great actor, yeah. And now for our next category, Best Actress. Uh, uh, pick two again here. One of them will be interesting to talk about because I think we all three picked them. Uh, my first one was Jennifer Hudson in Respect, which is a movie at the time that seemed like it had a lot of steam, but I think it's fallen off. So I don't feel great about that. And the other one I feel good about, Kristen Stewart in Spencer. So one for two, I think here. But who knows? Jay Hud could sneak in there. I don't know. I mean, I hope so, because I also picked her, obviously. Um, yeah, coming. I think uh, when we recorded the first time, like I had just seen for the trailer for the movie, and it looked like a really powerful performance. Like Carter said, it has lost a little bit of steam, I believe, in the Oscar baitiness. But uh, my other pick was, of course, Lady Gaga for House of Gucci. I mean, if she's not nominated, I will be genuinely disappointed because I think that might be the funniest thing in the world. But <laughs> the House of Gucci, it sort of had mixed reviews and everything. I do think, I don't know, I feel like she will get nominated still. So I have hope. Father, son, House of Gucci. I also took Jennifer Hudson, respect, like the other two. Uh, I don't know. It was up and then down and then maybe up in the last couple of weeks. So there's still a chance. And then I took West Side Story, Rachel Ziegler. Uh, she had not acted in anything. So it was really a big question mark. But there was like she was casted in like four different things before this movie even came out. So I was like, she must be good. So and it was West Side Story. I figured it would get a lot of nominations. So let's see. And the nominees are Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, 
Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Wow. Brady, Lady Gaga absolutely robbed. Tough. Man, that Transylvanian accent didn't get her in. That's tough. <laughs> hey, she put a lot of work into that, man. Come on. That she did. That Italian-American could not do an Italian accent. Wild <laughs> I'm surprised uh, Rachel Ziegler didn't get nominated, honestly. I was going to say that's yeah. a hell of a pick, Corbin. I liked that pick. Yeah. Man, poor J-Hud. We really missed the ball there, huh, boys? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, not great. They didn't really – I mean, I guess they didn't really go for the, uh, the playing real people thing too much in that category. <laughs> other than other than uh it's diana yeah all right and the last and final category goes to best picture well it was uh it was a tough pick at the time but i feel good about it now with all the love that it's getting my first one was nightmare alley which i feel like has somehow snuck in and i love that and i think west side story also feel pretty good about that is going to get in there too so with the director nom as well so yeah i'll go with nightmare alley and west side story oh man i am not feeling too confident about these (laughs) you guys are both finishing strong i i don't know spencer was my first pick i feel like that's a a fringe pick i I don't know i feel like go either way and then being the ricardos as well it has gotten a lot of noms but i mean best picture is tough it's only you know, 10, 10 movies. So you got to pick the best 10. I feel like these are probably around that, you know, seven to 15 range. It can go either way, but uh, we'll see. Maybe they're both in. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think we all did pretty decent here. Uh, the fact that Denis did not get nominated for best director kind of scares me considering I did pick Dune here for best picture. Um, and then I went licorice pizza for PTA, which for the record at the time was soggy bottom, but uh they didn't want to stick with that one, I guess. Working titles, whatever. Bummer. All right. And the nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Oh, my God. Dude. Dang, Cody. <laughs> I told you they weren't going to be out of there. That's I tough. thought I thought being the Ricardos might sneak in. Yeah. Guess not. Wow. Drive my car. That's man. Are we gonna have a parasite moment with drive my car? Jeez. My... Sheesh. Love it. <sighs> you want the final scores, boys and girls? <laughs> oh man. final scores. All right. Coming in third place. With three correct predictions is Cody. Yeah. In second place with eight correct predictions is Corbin. And coming in with a whopping 13 correct predictions all the way from the rough cut retrospective. Carter. Heck yeah. Showing out for my Robin over there. Yeah. And then also really quick, I one more interesting fact. I have uh, the top five most uh nominated most nominated movies so coming in at the at number five we got king richard with six nominations belfast with seven west side story at eight nominations dune with 10 and the power of the dog with 12 nominations sheesh yeah so netflix's year they're gonna might be 
Oh. It's really crazy that Dune got all those nominations and Denis was not one of them. That, that I think that's the biggest shock. I agree. That's, that's pretty the crazy. biggest snub. I cannot believe that. Um, that's wild. Wow. Tick Tick Boom, I thought could, would get a Best Picture nom, but maybe not. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Carter and Cody. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. I <laughs> well, appreciate it. I think I did well, honestly. Uh, you know, only three points out of, out of whatever, but a couple of mine were close. And, you know, Corbin was talking a big game and he got blown out. So I'm not too mad. On paper, I thought Cody had a pretty decent chance. And I was I was kind of surprised going through it. But Cody, yeah, you were big. just as close to me as I was to Carter. So you got <laughs> there double, you go. You got double. Well, he's a math wizard. Get out of here, bro. Carter, I was expected. I mean, what was it? 13 out of what we do, 18? I feel like that's difficult to do from like three or four months ahead. So I do respect it. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Listen, all my all my prior obsessions with the Academy Awards seems to, I guess, kind of paid off. So good stuff. We Thank love you, it. boys. Appreciate you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Carter got a one with a 65% accuracy. So really good, really good work. <laughs> now I can't knock it. This was a lot of fun. Obviously, the whole point we did it was just to kind of highlight some movies that were coming out. I think we did a good job of that. Uh We'll see in September again this year uh, what happens. Maybe we could do this again. Hell yeah. Uh, some, some notable things, obviously some movies that we didn't even mention that got some nominations coming to America, Cyrano, Belfast. That's a big miss on our part, Belfast. Huge miss. Uh, Drive My Car also seems like a pretty big miss. Lost Daughter, <sighs> Parallel Mothers, Worst Person in the World all came up a couple times. And then Free Guy. I mean, how do we forget about Free Guy? Free Guy. Shang-Chi, <laughs> Spider-Man, Encanto, Ryan the Last Dragon, and Flea all, all missed out in our initial nominations. Man, Spider-Man didn't get that Best Picture nomination. Tough. In hindsight, I really should have just nominated Spider-Man for visual effects. I don't know why. Yeah, I what were we do- thinking? Maybe we didn't think it was going to come out, I guess, that like it might get pushed because <sighs> it was know. so late. I'm not oh, sure. Went with the Matrix 4 for... Uh... <laughs> unknown reasons instead but yeah hey i think if you <laughs> i think it's six i think it's on right on the outside no chance <laughs> <laughs> terrible argument thank wow. you so much to the boys of the rough Cutter retrospect for coming back on the show again yeah. uh i think we got some cool stuff some pot- potential future collaborations we'll, we'll work on together mm-hmm. obviously check out their podcast uh they just did a fantasy draft which i love listening to um, and then check us out there this Friday. Uh, do you guys want to plug some socials real quick? Yeah, we got one social. It's Instagram, and the handle is at roughcut underscore pod. Give us a follow. Mm-hmm. And join us this week, as he said, on Friday, because we'll be having these boys on, and we'll talk our predictions for the nominations we just went through. And Cody will it. win. Yeah, hopefully I do a little better. But <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. Before you guys go, since it's the season three finale, we're starting a new cap tradition called, uh, I've, I've come up with this name, Netflix has an algorithm. We have a podgorithm. I have this blockbuster board game. Uh, I'm going to pull a random movie, and then you guys get 30 seconds to give a hot take and whether or not you recommend it. It's going to be timed. Got the stopwatch right here. Oh, this is oh my goodness. This pulling, is pulling a random movie out. You're going to have to go off top. We'll, uh, we'll start with Carter to give his take okay. first since he is the winner winners go first the movie look at that this is a fun one for this group x-men oh just All the right. og x-men og x-men starting the timer you got 30 seconds go uh hot take uh ray park is the best part of this film uh as, <laughs> as toad 
um you know what happens with the toad that gets struck by lightning something about it same thing that happens to everything else am i right um hugh jackman's hair is absolutely ridiculous in this movie um and uh, i think james marson is the hottest man on planet earth is that enough hot takes yep boom all right huge uh we'll move on to cody Uh oh Oh, we're still talking about X-Men? Oh, what a movie, man. <laughs> Actually, uh, out of the original trilogy, Hot Take, this one might be the worst. Uh, the, the costumes are terrible. Uh, obviously, The Last Dance very bad. But <laughs> that is a hot two, take. X2, mad underrated. Screw X-Men 1. I'm talking about X2. Nightcrawler, come on, that opening scene, goaded. Freaking Pyro. Dude, Pyro is sick. I mean, obviously, the first one's a good setup, blah, blah, blah. Toad is fun, but I don't know. Mystique, not a great villain in the first one. Big ups in the second one, though. Time. Jackson. Ooh, wow. Okay. Uh, Sabretooth is hilarious in that movie, especially with the uh, X-Men Wolverine's Origins movie contextualizing that universe. It's hilarious. They should have done crazy costumes instead of the leather uh, CW stuff that they were going with. And uh, Rogue's accent is like just dog shit and she shouldn't have been in it. I don't know. She's she's terrible, but uh, and she should fly and have super strength as she does in the comics. And I'll end it there. And now I go, uh, you guys have kind of pretty much taken everything I said. First of all, this is, I don't know if this is the worst one in the trilogy, but X2, definitely superior opening scene in the White Cru- White House. Nightcrawler is probably my favorite character of all the X-Men, so I think that's sick. Like Jackson said, costumes were terrible, uh, except, you know what, the, what better? I mean, listen, we just had Spider-Man No Way Home come out, and this ending fight was on the Statue of Liberty. Talk about... Uh, you know, being prescient in 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 future time. Oh, that's time. Love it. <laughs> I had nothing to say. You guys took it all. That's all right. fun. Yeah, that's a good doing one. That, doing that every episode for season three. Uh, this is a really fun board game too. If if the boys ever come to visit, we'll we'll have to break it out and play. Cody <gasps> loves to yell. So violent. Yeah. <gasps> Absolutely. So fun. I'll drive down. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, Cody and I will be answering some of your questions and reacting to your hot takes. So stay tuned for that. Rough Cut Retrospective, Batman and Robin, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, guys. We out. Thank you. And we're back. Once again, just want to thank Jackson and Carter for uh, coming on the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Obviously, we mentioned at the top, we were recording this ahead of time. Cody, any predictions for uh, how that game just turned out? Do you think you won the uh, Oscar nominee game? Oh, bold prediction off the bat. Yeah, I think I won by by a landslide. I don't think it was close. Uh, uh, Corbin probably came in last, actually. I came in first. And uh, Carter, you know, he was close to uh, to me. Not really, but yeah. He knows his stuff mostly, but not this year, you know. So, a bold prediction there, yeah. I, I was looking through the people we nominated again, and I, I think Carter has probably got the win here. Uh, in hindsight, my prediction, Carter's going to get 12. I'm going to get 11 and Cody, you're going to come in with a, a solid eight points at the end of it. So I'd be happy with eight points. If I'm being honest right now. So that's I my prediction. Eight of 21. Mm. That's not bad. Could be a lot worse. Lady Gaga is definitely getting nominated. So well, that's one of your eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, w- one of us will be right. And one of us will be wrong. Unless I win, and then well, we're we we're just you know yeah. I think right now. I think I'm right. So, 
like we mentioned at the top, uh, we're going to go through some viewer submitted hot takes, Q&A type things, a little bit of prompts, just some stuff that the viewers wanted to hear from us. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Have a lot of good stuff. So why don't we just go ahead and get into it with our, our we're going to start with our hot takes first. Uh, once again, go check out Cody on the Rough Cut Respective where he uh, responded to some hot takes, gave some of his own. Uh, he's the hot take king around here. So let's see what he thinks of these hot takes. First one's coming in from Cody Webb himself. <laughs> host submitted hot take. Corbin's the better host. Cody, what are your thoughts? Uh, dang, this is a spicy one. I don't know who would ever think this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, this is probably valid. I don't know. You know, I feel like everybody probably has their their personal favorite on the pod. But mine's Corbin. He's got great insight. You know, most of his takes are good. Some of them. I disagree with strongly. We know that. But, uh, yeah, evidently I've been branded as the hot take guy. I'm fine with that. It's a decent rep to have. But uh, Corbin's over here. He's steady. He knows what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, he's got to be my favorite host. So that's my hot take today. Coming yeah. off being a nice guy, you know, come on. Ending, <laughs> ending season two with some, with some heartwarming sentiment. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Cody, obviously you're my favorite host. Uh, I would say I'm the more prepared host. At no chance. No chance. <laughs> when it comes to planning and uh well everything behind the scenes for the podcast that's all me cody cody gets to sit back once once he's done recording boom he's done his he's clocked out job's over (laughs) i'm not getting paid for those hours so i'm not talking about (laughs) hey first check first check coming in a year (laughs) i'll take it uh yeah corbin is a big behind the scenes guys Always brainstorming, just a massive brainstorming guy. I really do respect that. And uh, I try to, you know, contribute, you know, the amount I can. But here's uh, what I do I, I bring the <laughs> ideas. Cody perfects them, tells me what's good. That's true. Where are we at? So you're I, the idea guy. I'm the execution guy. Yeah. It's a good relationship. Uh, a lot of great ideas coming in season three. So you better stick around. Cody just hit himself in the face with his mic. So <laughs> let's move on to our next hot take. This comes from Luke Manning. Uh, he actually sent in a ton of takes, so we're going to go through yeah. a couple of his here. Uh, season three, future guest, so look out for him soon on the pod. One of my fellow uh, film school classmates, Luke Manning's Dunkirk. first take, Dunkirk is Christopher Nolan's best film. Cody, what do you think? I'll tell you what, man. This is a hot, hot one off the bat as well. Um, Dunkirk, I think I've only seen it twice, to be fair. I've seen a lot of other Nolan movies a lot more times. But, I mean, for me, it's one of his upper mid-tiers. I, I think it is a good movie. It can be very slow at parts, but the action and, and the intensity of it especially is very good. I, I don't really know why Tom Hardy's in the movie, if I'm being honest. That whole plot is kind of strange to me. But um, I'd say it's not his best. That is a hot take. I'd say it's hovering around the top five for me. Just to list them out, um, obviously, Dark Knight. Prestige, one of my personal favorites. I think you have to put Inception and Batman Begins in there as well. And then that five, six, seven range is sort of like you go Tenet, you can go uh, Memento. Um, but sure, let's throw Dunkirk it at five. I like it enough to say it's a top five film. See, I, I I disagree. I really do. I don't think Dunkirk's that great. I it's okay. It is mid, I guess, tier for Nolan. Uh, but when you have movies like Inception, The Prestige, The Dark Knight uh those are obvious those three i think are clearly better and i appreciate memento tenant and interstellar even more so i got it in at seven uh the thing about it that i just don't like is i think 
it lacks any heart. Like you mentioned not understanding why Tom Hardy is even in the movie. I don't like there's Nolan makes these movies that are like supposed to be like filled with these high concept emotional themes. And I feel like he just like didn't do that at all with this movie. And it's, it's where it really lacks it. It, I think a lot of its character and story structure is based around like the whole, Oh, let's do it a week, an hour in a day. So then you get stuff like the Tom Hardy interaction where like, because of the, the story structure that you have to have that. Whereas at the end of the day, it's, it's an impressive feat. It's a cool movie. The The orange teal look is, is really fantastic, but it, it, it lacks any like connection to the characters beyond, Oh yeah, these are the good guys. Cause they're the British and it's world war two. That's my take. Yeah, hundred percent. Honestly, I, I definitely back that. The thing with Dunkirk is, there's not. Really I have only seen it once as well, so I I gotta admit, I, I maybe I should rewatch it. Yeah, I mean, same. I haven't seen that many times. I mean, but based off what you're saying, I mean, the characters are just not super strong in that movie. It's yeah. more of sort of an accurate depiction of maybe what the war would have been, and you don't, you can't really get attached to anybody because everybody's dying because it's war, which is an interesting concept. But I agree, not one of the best known films. No, so continuing on with this take uh we we have a couple that are kind of linked here uh directors so this one's from jake ross and he says your favorite name well maybe your second favorite name third favorite name denis villeneuve is greater than christopher nolan is is jake's take sent to us by twitter former guest is denis villeneuve better than christopher nolan cody uh the short answer Probably not yet. Uh, I like this take. This is my take as well. This is my take as well. Denis is obviously on the rise. He's one of the better directors working today. However, I mean, to say he's better than Nolan at this point in his career, I would say is a little far-fetched. But, I mean, that's not really his fault. He just hasn't made as many movies as Nolan. So, I mean, in hindsight, this might be a great take from Junior. But uh, as of now, I I can't back this in in the slightest. Yeah, Yeah, Nolan's got like 10 years on him. So, (laughs) it's really not a fair comparison at this point. Uh, we, for me, I think Nolan's best. So like, again, that three of Inception, Prestige and Dark Knight is personally better than Denise best, which I think is a rival at this point. I know you love a rival, so it's a little hard to compare. Um, I would say Interstellar is, is kind of just like a shitty version of a rival in a way. <laughs> Similar you. themes. Uh, I'm but I think stuff in both Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Similar themes, time travel, uh, sci-fi, great acting performances at the core. Um, personally, I think Enemy is, is too low of a low for me when, you, when you're taking Denise filmography. But I haven't gotten a chance to check out Sicario or Ansendiz yet, which I too, do know are two appreciated films of his. So Prisoners is great. I'd love, I'm very excited to see what he does next. Uh, Dune and Batman, I think, are kind of like in a similar place right now. So seeing what he f- does with Dune is you know similar to what maybe Christopher Nolan was able to do with the character of Batman. So when that trilogy finishes up or or that two movies finishes, uh, maybe we can have this conversation again. Yeah, okay. which leads which leads us into our next take, which is again from Luke Manning. Denis Villeneuve is the best working director today. Where are you at on this, Cody? This is a better question, I think. Um, much more debatable than Junior's. I would say maybe, but my take is still Nolan's the best working director today. Um, I think it's close. I think it's very close. It, how I compare it in my head is sort of 
if they just both made a random movie, which one would I rather see right now? And I think I would say Nolan still. Um, his most recent stuff has not been like his top tier stuff, but I think he still has that potential to, you know, pull out another just like, what the heck is this movie? It's amazing. And I don't know if I can say that about Denis. Like, yes, his movies are great, but the whole mind bending stuff is super, super fun for me. And um, yeah, I mean, also just in general, there's so many good directors working today. I don't even know if those two are the best. Those are probably just two, two of my favorites. But I mean, come on. You can't really argue who's the best working director today without bringing up like 20 different names because there are that many good directors working right now. Um, I won't bore you guys and go through my list, but I would say those are my two personal favorites, but they're still probably not the best directors working today. You kind of had a similar take to this on me. Um, my thing is, I don't know. I don't know if Nolan pulls off Dune quite in the same way. It's not the same movie. Obviously, you haven't seen it yet. Um, obviously, the caveat here is that we did say working. Um, so it's not, you know, all time who's who's the best greatest director. It's who is currently at the height of their powers. And I think it might be Denis. Um, obviously, we have some classic directors that are still working, like David Fincher, Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee, the Coen brothers, even Christopher Nolan. Yeah. But my thing is, do you think any of those directors have their best movie is yet to come out or do you think they've probably all come out with their best at this point yeah that, that is a good point they probably have all peaked out of that list you're just saying even Nolan, i'd say Nolan's definitely peaked but uh, i think i think denis has the potential to still make a movie that is better than anything he has right now yeah i bet that's i mean you could name you named off the classic directors you could name the up-and-coming ones too well yeah so that's my thing i think if if you obviously said you'd be more excited about a new Christopher Nolan movie. I would probably be pretty even. Um, the rest of those directors, I would probably take Denis over. But there are some people currently working that I'm more excited to see their future projects. Like people like Bong Joon-ho, I'd rather yep. see his next movie. Jordan Peele, I'm very excited to see Nope. Yep. And even Greta Gerwig, like those three people that have been nominated for Best Director in the last six years. Um, I think all, I personally am more excited to see their next project than Denis. They're different kinds of directors, but... It definitely maybe puts a little bit of the spell of, oh, he, is he the best working director? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, those are three great names. You can name 10 more, like I said. Um, 100%. There's so much potential, I think, right now from the directorial standpoint in Hollywood, which is super exciting because I think the next, this decade of movies um, might be up there with some of the best of them, which we're going to talk about later. But uh, yeah, the, the directorial talent these days, it's really off the charts. I am jacked for just like the, the future of movies, so definitely back all right next one talking about someone we just i just mentioned tarantino's overrated coming again from luke manning this is a spicy take (laughs) this is hot um ah that's hot (laughs) drop it like it's hot off the bat i'd say uh no fucking chance Uh, (laughs) yes tarantino has peaked 100 he's probably done making movies after his next allegedly only one left yeah yeah but, I mean, his filmography out here, it's pretty tough to compare to if, if you're saying other directors. I mean, he peaked in the 90s, obviously. You know, a couple absolute classics. Also, I mean, he's done well since then. Django's pretty good, you know, feature in, in the modern day. But, Glorious I mean, Bastards is my favorite. Yeah, you like that one, obviously. I mean, Reservoir Dogs and, you know. And you know, Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yeah, yeah, those are his best movies, I would say. And, um I mean, he's not right. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? 
I don't know. If, I don't know if uh, these people have seen Pulp Fiction, but it, it's a hell of a movie. Hell of performances. Tarantino, you know, he can be a little controversial maybe nowadays, but I think his his films stand alone from you know his opinions on some stuff, and uh, I think he is a an all time director in my book. So I'd say probably not. Yeah, something that you guys talked about on that hot take episode is a little bit of like the red flag movie uh, type thing, and like I think Tarantino can kind of fall into that. Yeah. Um, and especially it's like within the sphere of the world that you live in. And when somebody like Luke and I are both film students, like, I don't know, there's such a stereotype of like the film bro with the Pulp Fiction t-shirt and like yeah. or the, the Pulp Fiction poster. Um, and I get it. But at the same time, like, I feel like it's such a meme that it like evens out and it takes away from the 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 badness or, or like the ugliness of, of the like film bro who's too obsessed with Quentin Tarantino. We're like, you can recognize that it's still a good movie and yeah, he makes like movies that are probably 75% stolen from other films, but they have incredible actors at their core with really unique and like dialogue that is, doesn't come from anyone else. Uh, Crazy, you know, in depth storylines. And also at the same time, maybe says the N word too much and focuses on feet a little bit too much, but like we can recognize these things and like (laughs) point them out and still appreciate the movie personally i think inglorious bastards is a masterpiece and obviously pulp fiction is one of the most like iconic movies of all time especially 90s movie culture um yeah i don't know i don't think he's overrated i think it's really about the sphere and the discourse that you surround yourself with and if you can surround yourself with like people that can recognize like the good and the bad of tarantino then i don't think it's overrated yeah i i think you're right on the money there honestly and um also just like the the bloody shoot 'em up style mm. is as well so unique unique excuse me and um yeah his perspective on a lot of things is is weird at times obviously he does have a foot fetish which you know i'm not a big fan of but yeah. <laughs> i i respect sticks it sticks to his guns yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> i mean it's not a tarantino movie without feet but uh yeah i don't think he's he's already by any means yeah now let's move on to another director one that we have not mentioned yet uh that I've t- talked about, I'm not a huge fan of on the podcast, but here's the take again from Luke. Wes Anderson at his best is brilliant. Wes Anderson at his worst is insufferable. Cody, what are your, what's your take on Wes Anderson? You big Wes Anderson fan? I'm, I would call myself a big Wes Anderson fan. I think you, uh, like you said, have been hating on him on the pod a little bit, which I haven't defended him much to be fair, but I just think Wes Anderson's human. He's not a perfect director right here. <laughs> he can make some stinkers in his time. And um, he's also made some some pretty good movies in his time, too. Um, his whole visual style, I am a fan of. He he puts a lot of work into every shot of his movie, which I think is pretty admirable. Um, sometimes his premises and his stories are, are not the most interesting, I don't think. But as a just visual director, he's, he's sort of like the Zack Snyder of indie directors. Um, if that's a good comparison, <laughs> he cares a lot more about what you're seeing on the screen than maybe what's going on at times, which is not a bad thing. But yeah, I think Wes, he brings a lot of interesting concepts to the screen that is, like Tarantino, very unique from a lot of other directors. And that's what stands out to me. Yeah, he's he's made some bad movies. He's made some good movies. But I mean, these days, who really hasn't done that? So yeah, I, I don't know. I think this is a good take, honestly, because... Like, if you really dive into his movies, there probably are a pretty, like, few insufferable ones. But, I mean, Grand Budapest Hotel, that's one of my favorites from him. 
like that's a pretty dang good movie so i mean it goes on the other side of the coin uh i don't know what to think about this one honestly but uh i, I do want to hear your take on west i think budapest hotel is the perfect culmination of his style working and it's what he means you know at his best he's brilliant it's yeah. it's the combination of everything he's worked towards the the colors the the symmetry the the perfect composition the production design the you know strange story the use of different aspect ratios it's like everything that he's been building towards in his career like at its peak is is grand budapest and then you have stuff like fantastic mr fox which is really like fun and special in its own unique way um but i would agree like at his worst he's insufferable i think french dispatch is a lot of him you know just really like taking everything from budapest and expanding upon it to a point where it's it is insufferable and uh i did not love it it's a lot of you know basically I described it as Wes Anderson just jerking himself off for an hour. And uh, that's kind of what it is. Like, it's a really unique story. And I don't think literally any other director could make something like that. But I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Just because it's unique doesn't, doesn't make it the best. Yeah. <laughs> but some people really love and appreciate that. So good for them. Yeah. The, the style is always going to be interesting. But yeah, <laughs> I remember you describing the French dispatch as that. So that's why I was excited for your take there. But I just wanted to hear the jerking himself offline again. I will, ad- <laughs> I will admit that I also have not spent a, a lot of time with his movies, and I do yeah. intend to get into some of his er- earlier films a little bit more. That's something that I want to check out uh, in the coming weeks. Okay. Coming on to hot take number seven, again from Luke. 2014's Godzilla, this is the Brian Cranston Godzilla, was the best MonsterVerse film. So MonsterVerse includes uh kong skull island the tom cruise one right godzilla king of monsters uh i don't think that's in it <laughs> the mummy movie that's a different monster verse yeah uh and then also of course godzilla versus kong yes um you probably won't agree with this because i believe you like the first uh king kong movie pretty well um i don't disagree i mean i i don't agree with this either i think this is an interesting take though because that first godzilla movie is one of the more controversial i think of a lot of recent movies there was a lot of haters and there's a lot of people who really really liked it i'm probably somewhere in the middle i thought they wasted brian cranston by just killing him off randomly um that's why i was kind of super excited to see that movie because it's brian cranston versus godzilla um but then also like you don't really see godzilla until the very end they, they hide him the entire movie 55 fucking minutes into the movie is the first time you see Godzilla. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. They're doing it like Jaws. Like, it is kind of scarier when you don't see him. However, when all the trailers have, you know, multiple shots of him the entire time, I don't really like that. If you hide him the entire movie. If, if they did the trailers where it was like, they have him. Well, I think I think in the trailer it was like, oh, they're skydiving down, and you can just see this mask thing. If that was the only thing they showed, like that's fine maybe. But they literally showed Godzilla in all the promotional material, so I don't really like that. Uh, and then, I mean, out of the other movies, which ones do I like the best? I don't know. They're all right. I'd probably say Godzilla Two: King of Monsters, just because that's a straight up just street fight with as many monsters in one movie. And I like I like Mothra. The, the visuals on that too. I think it's very cool. But um, yeah, I, I probably don't back this. Although Brian Cranston versus Godzilla is a fun concept. Elizabeth and Olsen and uh, Taylor Aaron Taylor Jen in a relationship. Yeah, that's that's being brother and sister. Too. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say this is a hot take, and I do respect it honestly because 
the style of that movie and you know the way they set up Godzilla is interesting but the execution for me with everything in context is not my favorite yeah um again 55 minutes I, I kind of agree with everything you said um the traditional like Godzilla formula for like the old movies was they would show Godzilla in the beginning and then like he would show up about halfway through again and then he would be, you know play a pretty big role in the second half whereas in this one there's like kind of a brief thing at the start in the opening credits and then you don't see him for 55 minutes which is about halfway through the movie um and then he's he's there for most of the movie so in ter- total screen time it's it's pretty similar to like all the classic godzilla films but i don't know i don't love the jaws thing i don't think it's not Jaws thing. Like it just no. doesn't pull it off to the same extent that like Jaws can. Uh, I do like Kong Skull Island a lot and even King of Monsters, I think is better. So this is probably actually, I think Godzilla versus Kong is also better than this movie. So this might be four for me <laughs> uh, in the monster verse. So I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah. Like I said, it's one of the more controversial. I think there's opinions on movies. I feel like we could talk to 10 different people and it'd be split down the middle 50, 50 on who like that movie. So that's a tough one. All right, so moving on to our next hot take from Luke Manning once again. He says Steve Carell is a better dramatic actor than he is a comedic actor. Cody, what's your take on this? Ooh, we got a spicy one. No, uh, I think Steve Carell's good both ways. Uh, he plays for both teams, basically. But, uh, <laughs> uh, office reference. Um, but I think, you know, comedy is where he's better suited, in my opinion just because I am an avid, avid, you know, office lover. And, I mean, most of the movies he's done as well have been comedically based. Obviously, recently he's gotten into a lot more dramatic acting, and he's a very good dramatic actor as well. I think the standout is Foxcatcher. I mean, for him to play that sort of role, also Channing Tatum, the movie is also very good. But just in general, for a serious movie with those kind of actors, I think it's an outstanding performance. He's done a lot of other stuff as well. I really like him in Vice. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the iconic 40 year old virgin, he's very good in as well. So, I mean, his, his movie cred is up there, but I would say he's probably better comedically just based off of Michael Scott, like singularly. Everything else after Michael Scott is just something else Steve Carell can do, but that is who, like, he is defined by, by me. So, I'd say, you know, decent take, but I'll probably say no. Yeah, I think it's pretty me- even for the most part. You mentioned Vice, um, and even his character in The Big Short. I think why those characters are so successful while they are dramatic roles, there's a level of comedy. Like you're supposed to be laughing at the character of Donald Rumsfeld in vice. And you're supposed to be kind of laughing with the the character he has. And, and there's certain comedic timing is also very similar to like dramatic timing. And I think if you can have good comedic timing, then being able to be dramatic as an actor is also very successful. Uh, specifically for this hot take, I went and watched a movie called beautiful boy, which is like maybe his most dramatic role where he's playing this, father of a drug addict played by timothy chalamet um definitely a a very tough movie to watch but i will say there's points when he like yells and gets really like angry and expressive and it's just michael scott yelling like it's 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 all i can think he's there's a point where he's he's yelling and all i can think is no no like the the michael scott like yelling no like and it because it's it's that it's that nasally quality to his voice when it like goes up and it's it's really hard to separate him from that character, unfortunately. Uh, but it's also not a bad thing because Michael Scott is amazing character, one of the best in, in TV. He's hilarious. Also, like you said, 40-Year-Old Virgin is, 
I think one of the better comedy movies of all time. So uh, he can definitely do dramatic well. And I think when he can pair the two together, I think is, is when he's at his best. Uh, I know. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my take. I agree. Uh, the be- beautiful boys on my list as well. It's that's one I've been meaning to watch for a while. Definitely recommend but, it. Very, very powerful stuff, but yeah. And uh, I left out one of my favorite movies, big short. So good in that as well. But maybe if you haven't seen the office and you just watch those movies first and then you watch the office, then maybe you'll think he's a dramatic actor. But because like us, obviously, it's the reverse way around. I don't know. That's an interesting argument, I think. But I mean, yeah, for me, he's just always going to be Michael Scott. Yeah. Let's move on to the next hot take. Endgame is widely overrated in mid-tier Marvel. Once again, coming from Luke. I'll tell you what, Luke. You got some interesting takes. I low-key back this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel like uh, maybe me and Luke might just share this opinion on our own because Endgame is is very beloved, obviously. But, I mean, most of the movie is sort of nostalgia bait, which is fine. I love nostalgia bait. But if you take the movie as a whole and compare it to the top 10 other movies that the MCU has produced, I don't think it makes a list. I think this is a 11 through 15 MCU movie. Um, I can name off 10 if you want me to, but I don't even think it's really close at times. Out of the Avengers movies, even, uh, I'd say this is probably like the third best. But it is a great culmination. It's a great ending. The last fight is, you know, a lot of fun. But, I mean, story-wise, other than just it being a good ending, I don't think it really adds much. It doesn't have a good villain. Um, the heroes are uninteresting at times and very interesting at others. It's sort of a balancing act. And then you have the, the core, whatever, six at the end. Somehow they all don't get snapped away, which I thought was stupid as well. But it's a good ending for them. And the whole five-year time jump I did like a lot. Very surprising there. But other than, you know, Captain America holding Mjolnir, Avengers Assemble, like there's there's key milestone moments that will always be remembered. But in the grand scheme of things, I think this is a mid-tier Marvel movie. So I back it, Luke. You brought a good one. I respect it. Corbin Grossman. Obviously, Infinity War is better, but I still think this is a, as a top 10 Marvel movie. Maybe even, I think like six or seven is probably where I have it. But I don't appreciate like the Captain America movies as much as you do, I know. Um, I, yeah. I I just don't love those movies as much. Um, like you said, you know, the Avengers Assemble, Cap Holding Mjolnir, like some of the like all-time favorite theater moments in this film that... I don't know if it can ever be beat just that that euphoria of being in there in the theater maybe it doesn't stand alone great but it's literally not supposed to it's a culmination of 10 years and you have to appreciate that every time you watch it so story yeah maybe it's not the best but i think it still can get in the top 10 just because of what it is and, and it <laughs> listen it was an ending and it was a successful ending to a lot of stories and i think they they did something that i was worried they weren't going to be able to pull off and they really did pull it off so it's a I think it's deserving the top 10 spot. Yeah, for what it is, it, it's good. But in the grand scheme, I don't know. It's probably close. It's a good movie. I'm not saying it's bad. Second to last take here. Not too spicy, but I figured I'd, I'd throw it in as well. Again, coming from Luke. He says the whole the books was better or the movie was better is a stupid thing to say. It just doesn't work. I'll, I'll start here. I agree with this. You know, some things just really aren't meant to like exist in a specific medium or something. It's just like things are going to be different. Uh, I definitely grew up probably saying this too. I, I enjoyed reading, you know, books, Harry Potter, Percy Jackson, 
Um, but at the end of the day, like, I don't know, it doesn't really matter much. Yeah, the book's probably always going to be better because it's the first thing you read and it's the source text. And movies are probably just being made around a book most of the time for a cash grab or to, you know, appeal to some wider IP. And then they'll make movies about, you know, smaller books that are, are widely celebrated that aren't necessarily a cash grab, but then they're just better as books. So, like, it's hard to capture that energy on screen. I don't know. There's some great, great movies based on books. Jurassic Park, you ever heard of it? That's probably better than fucking whatever Michael Crichton wrote. <laughs> Never heard of it. Um, but, yeah, this is another tough one, I think. But I don't know if I necessarily agree. I think, you know, other than a few exceptions – the books are always better. Um, and that's but why does it matter? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't. But if we're arguing for arguing sake, I mean, you just have more material in the books to go off of. So, I mean, the longer you spend with characters, likely the better, you know, they're going to be fleshed out, more emotional moments, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the thing. If you made a movie that was exactly like the book, it would be a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's just different media, and I think it's hard to compare, but, I mean, in theory, the book should always be better because you have more time to do things with the characters. Movie, you're limited to two hours. I mean, it's hard to, you know, flesh out a character completely in that amount of time. But, um, yeah, it is stupid. I mean, either way, if you say those phrases a bunch in your life, like, come on, you're better than that. But, you know, the books are usually better, so fair enough. All right, last take, and we won't spend too much time on this one because it's already been well discussed in the pod. The Last Jedi is a top-tier Star Wars film. Again, coming from Luke, this is where Luke and I intersect. Uh, I agree 100%. Oh, man. I actually want, for our next question, I rewatched A New Hope last night. But listen, Last Jedi, just listen to our pod if you really want to know the answer to this. That's my question, or that's my reply. Yeah, that's definitely true. You'll definitely learn a lot of our opinions on the movie for that one. But uh, yeah, no, no fucking chance, basically. No fucking chance. <laughs> that's all I'll say. All right. So those are our hot takes. Uh, a lot of love to Luke and then Jake for throwing one in yeah. there. Hey, but- big shout outs to my man. Dude, come on. We got to get this guy out immediately. He's, he's balling out for this episode. Unbelievable. I got it. I got an idea of something we can do with him. So it'll be fun. Uh, Moving on to our questions. First one comes from uh, one of my friends from high school, Gavin Bullock. He says, what are your thoughts on A New Hope? Cody, take it away. What are your thoughts? Is it, is it actually that good? Is it too slow? Is it, is it overrated, underrated? You know, tell me, Star Wars, the original, episode four. Yeah, it's not called A New Hope. It's called Star Wars. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a top tier Star Wars movie. It's, in my book, the second best Star Wars movie. Uh, I agree. Probably I agree. these days, a little underrated just because it came out, I mean, what, 1977 or something? Long, long time ago. And um, I mean, yeah, it, it set the stage for Empire, which is just an all-time classic. It has a lot of fun moments. I mean, the Death Star and Luke stuff. Oh, uh, Ben Kenobi, so good. Really the only original appearance from him in the, the trilogy. And he's just so iconic, I think. He, he really adds a lot to the entire trilogy, even though he's only in it for one movie, which I think it's hard to do. And I mean, just the introduction of all these like, iconic characters. You got the whiny Luke growing up before your eyes. You got Harrison Ford as Han Solo, so iconic. Princess Leia. I mean, even the droids are so fun. You can go on and on. Chewbacca. You go on and on and on and on with this movie. So much good stuff from George Lucas and just the, the world building as well to 
this was not, I don't think, meant to be a, a massive franchise. It was just George Lucas taking a chance, a lot of practical effects, and uh, just some fun, you know, sci-fi, good versus evil, classic stuff. And um, obviously, I didn't even bring up Darth Vader, the most iconic villain of all time. So, I mean, I'm literally forgetting some of the biggest parts of this movie just because there's so much to talk about. And, uh, yeah, New Hope, I mean, what can you say, man? Good movie. Yeah, uh, I would say it's probably one of the, like, honestly, I thought it looking back, like, my assumption was that this is going to be too slow. But it's actually a pretty well-paced movie. And, like, everything that happens leads to the next thing. And it's, it's constantly moving forward and propelling the story. Like you mentioned, there's so much iconic stuff here. The visual effects, the practical effects, the land sweeping landscapes, characters like Han Solo, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, Leia. Everything is just, like, easily recognizable. Lightsabers. What? Amazing. Fantastic. Uh, the Death Star, the music and the opening crawl. Yeah, I forgot uh, about the music. The music, the f- unbelievable. Dude. Absolutely. So good. Go, go uh, what I will say, uh, the lightsaber fighting is weak, yeah. especially compared to what we see later. Uh, and the ending is a little rushed for me. It kind of, it, it jumps to it, but it's very clear cut. It's uncomplicated. Here's what they need to do. They do it. Boom. Death Star. Wow. We won. Congrats. Obviously those things get more complicated moving forward, but it seems very like it wraps up really nicely in the end. It, it has a clear, this is the end. You know, we've mentioned the pot a couple of times. Movies love to have six, seven endings. This movie just ends and, and we're okay with that. Uh, some stuff, you know, George Lucas loved to meddle with these movies after they came out. There's some changes. If you watch it on Disney Plus now, there's a lot of shitty CGI stuff that's yeah. been added that I don't love, especially on Tatooine. Uh, just weird stuff in the back room that I don't think adds a ton and really just tracks. So listen, George Lucas's meddling, as always, has has kind of ruined these movies a little bit. But uh, he made a fucking samurai movie western in space on the grandest scale that you possibly could. And it's extremely expansive. It's a crazy world and it wouldn't get made today. You know, like somebody says, give me, I don't know how much money the first new hope costs, but like, give me this much money to make this original story with these huge sets, crazy practical effects. Like, I don't know. It, it's a lot. It, he built a world and it's really impressive. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it might be made today. If you have the right director and the right, you know, actors and ideas behind it. But, um, I mean, basically what he did as well was just cast no names, which yeah. uh, it's hard to do these days as well. So you might be right. I think if it was made today, it'd be much, much different. You got to have star power in there. So, yeah, I mean, he made it at the right time, I guess. George Lucas was born in the right era to create one of the best, uh, you know, franchises of all time. So fair enough. <clears throat> All right, next take coming from a fellow coworker of mine at the Co-Rec, uh, Asif Anwar. What's a film conspiracy theory you believe in despite a lack of evidence? Now, I have, a, I have one that personally I think has a lot of evidence that, that we've talked about, uh, but I'll let you go first. Cody, what, what's a film conspiracy okay. theory you believe in? I'm interested to hear yours, but um, I actually found one that I, I really, really like, and it does have a little bit of evidence as well. So... We're going to throw it to the animated scene here and talk about Aladdin. Mm. Uh, classic movie, classic movie. But I think that the conspiracy theory is it's set in a post-apocalyptic 
Mad Max sort of scene. I've seen this. I've seen this. And, okay. Uh, yeah. This is because the genie makes so many references to people in like the 90s and you know the early, the late 80s, blah blah blah, whatever. But I mean, he's talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jack Nicholson, basically anybody from the 90s who's famous. He does an impression of. So is this How like Y2K happens, and then yeah. we get the. How does he know who these people are? Well, he's been in a bottle for, I don't know, you know, whatever it was, 8,000, 7,000 years. So maybe it's 8,000 or 7,000 years after the 90s. That's when he got put in the bottle. And this is where we're at in the world now. I think that's just super fun. And, uh, you know, Aladdin, a Mad Max, Fury Road-esque sort of scene maybe five years ago. I think it's really fun to imagine as well. But, um, I mean, that kind of makes sense. How would he know who those people are? if he wasn't, you know, around that era for those people. I don't know. There's also something, there's like a piece of, I don't, I don't remember specifically with this theory, but there's like stuff that shows up that's like modern stuff that's like in the sand and stuff that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I want to bring up the classic. I'm going to debunk it. Uh, everyone, you know, the classic film conspiracy theory is that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. Yeah. Uh, and then The Shining is one giant confession to that fact. Uh, people are always like, well, he made 2001 A Space Odyssey. So they were like, oh, you could fake the moon landing. But if you watch 2001 A Space Odyssey, it looks nothing like the moon landing. <laughs> like they're not the same. <laughs> like, yeah, he made something that looks like real and scientific and like in space, but it doesn't look like what the moon landing <laughs> looks like. The moon landing looks like shit. <laughs> yeah, that, that is kind of true. Uh, I don't know. When I don't the... think this is real. The moon landing is real. That's my take. This is a bad theory. I just wanted to bring it up. <laughs> I think that's true as well, but I mean, when did uh, the moon landing happen? Right, 69? 1969. When was uh, 2001 released? Like 1968. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. I backed that then. I thought uh, 2001 was made earlier, but yeah, the moon landing does look like shit. So. And then he makes The Shining in, 2000, or in 1980. There's yeah. a bunch of stuff. You know, there's a moon lander in it. There's the Kids room special. number. Everything is like, oh, it's pointing to him. He faked it. I, I don't know. It's just a coincidence maybe or maybe he did maybe he was involved he's trying to tell us something yeah i don't know honestly i feel like the moon landing is real but that is kind of strange and if anybody they're gonna hire to do it it'd probably be kubrick so i don't know i feel like one day we might actually learn the answer on that but not anytime soon my real take which is a take you're familiar with snowpiercer bong joon ho's 2014 film is a sequel to willy wonka and the chocolate factory uh, i hate this one i don't like this one at all <laughs> <laughs> listen it's like not it's not real because like it just doesn't make sense that they that bong joon ho would just make a sequel about people on a train but there's like weirdly a lot of like connections and i don't want to get there's youtube video essays you can check out but hell it's wilford's there's a big w and it's wonka like all the stuff uh weird food contraptions the layers to the train like there's a lot of it that that is seems like it it really backs up this theory that Willy Wonka, you've loved trains, and <laughs> yeah, but Ed Harris is uh, Charlie in that scenario. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I don't buy, but the Wilford stuff is kind of weird. Um, I mean, when you look at it, it's like okay, stuff kind of adds up, but it's <laughs> so far fetched for me where I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> we'll move on to next. Next question coming from one of my Big Ten coworkers, Cass Clark. What makes a TV series good? I like this question. You know, make it a little bit more broad, a little more general. I think a lot of things can make a TV series good. 
Um, first off, you know, I'm a big cast guy. You get a good cast, a lot of strong characters, a lot of good actors. I think that's a good start. Obviously, you need some sort of plot. You know, that is normally what happens in a TV show. So you need some of that. Um, and just sort of the idea of an overarching story where it keeps you guessing, it keeps you intrigued. I think if you have something where, you know, you keep some characters in the dark on some stuff, there's some big reveals. It's more fun. It's more drama. You had some drama. You had some lighthearted fun in there as well. I think that's a good combo. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of different answers to this. My general thing is you should always keep the audience engaged at all times. I think if you, even if you have like one or two episodes where you're not sure what to do, like cut it, cut it to the fuller. Like every episode should be an integral part to it. And um also as well, you should just know where you're going with it the entire time. Have a little fun setups where maybe if you do big, do a reveal, make it so where if you go back and watch the previous episodes, there's a little clues to it. I think that's super fun as well. But I mean, there's a lot of different ways to make good TV. Um, obviously, it depends on like the genre you're going for. But in general, I'd say those are my bullet points, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge TV guy, but I would say I agree with most of what you said. You know, staying fresh is really important. Creating characters that are capable of changing, but keeping, you know, the show going. Because that's that's really the hard thing about TV is like you can't have stagnant characters that never grow, but you also need to like be able to keep up the same energy and 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 character interaction and keep it the same. Um, I think things that like kind of reinvent the format of TV are always great. Um, even The Office kind of spurned its own like reinvention of situational comedies. The Sopranos, obviously, I mean, a ton of, you know, a ton of HBO stuff, Game of Thrones, Sopranos, uh, you know, The West Wing even. Um, and then even stuff like Breaking Bad, like this like really high, high quality, high production reality TV with like really strong writing is, is what's kind of overtaken what TV is now. Um, longer form a darker concept it's a very hbo type thing obviously breaking bad not an hbo show but that that kind of like hbo tv sensibility is is kind of what become you know mainstream tv even like euphoria now is the biggest thing um and it's it's kind of reinventing what television is so that that's my take one more thing i want to add they need to know when to end the show as well mm, i think absolutely. a bad thing about tv is you can just keep doing it for as long as you want um, I think a good example of it is The Good Place. They could have done that show for a very, very long time, but they said, you know, I think this is a good time to end, you know, this sort of view on the characters. And that's hard to do because you could probably make like four or five more seasons of that show and make more money. But it's always, it's always tough. I mean, The Office is a good example as well. It's hard to know when to end a great show. And um, to have the balls to pull the plug when you're going out high is tough. But sometimes it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it's it comes down to money a lot of the time. And when you're like yeah. the best, like if you're having great ratings, you're not going to want to end the show. But then when you start getting bad ratings is the time to end. But you're going to have a bad ending, right? Uh, there's so many shows that we could talk about that have had bad endings. We kind of mentioned it on our, our Growing the Beard and Jumping the Shark episode. But uh, knowing when to pull the plug, you're 100% right. It, that, that like to have like a complete TV series that is strong and good is really rare. Like even some of my favorite stuff, like you said, The Office, New Girl, Scrubs, uh, Parks and Rec, even like their final season, like all these shows that I really love and enjoy, Arrested Development have had like bad How I Met Your Mother, terrible endings, <laughs> bad finishes. They went on for too long. Yeah, a lot of those shows did a weird like time jump thing, which 
is a weird phenomenon, which I don't like. Parks and Recs. Parks and Recs, the obvious one. Yeah. Um, yeah, weird, weird stuff. Next question, uh, which I think might be a disappointment if the person who asked it is actually listening. Uh, the question comes from Nick Armstrong, another one of my high school classmates. Uh, he says, what's your explanation of Donnie Darko? Cody, you've never seen this movie, have you? <laughs> I think it's only like 10 years ago. Okay, I, okay. I remember uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's terrible. That, that's basically my gist of the movie, though. So you're going to have to you know, carry on this question. I don't have much to say. I'll share a fun anecdote to start. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, there was a girl that was older than me that I was really interested in. Um, and her favorite movie was Donnie Darko. She loved Donnie Darko. Kind of fit who she, she was a little bit. Uh, great, great person. I have nothing bad to say about her. But um, yeah, she was really into Donnie Darko. So I was like, yeah, let me watch Donnie Darko and like, like this movie because she likes it. And then I watched it and I was like, ah, I don't really like this that much. <laughs> I don't get it at all. And then I like, you know, you try and watch a YouTube essay or whatever, trying to understand the meaning and, and you just don't. Uh, I don't fucking know what happens to this movie. I think it's one that I want to do on the pod at some point. So a little bit of teaser. Donnie Darko was on my list at one point to make Cody watch it. Basically, you know, there's a parallel universe that gets created. Uh, then the Donnie Darko character, he's like living in the parallel universe. And there's like this weird bunny and it's like a symbol of some shit. I don't know. Uh, and then a, at the end, a plane explodes. And then that like reconnects the universes because it collapses in on it. Like that's basically the whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Someone else could probably explain it better. Interesting. <laughs> That's all new information to me. So, do you remember how the movie ends? There's like well, a plane above his house and it yeah, like explodes. I, that. His house. I think I was like, I don't know how long it was 10 years ago. Yeah, I was like 12 or 13 or something. I don't even know why I was watching the movie. I would have watched it freshman year of high school, is I think the last time I watched it. So, it's been like eight years. Yeah, it's probably in like middle school. So, all right. Uh, next question <laughs> comes from our last guest. Yeah, sorry, we couldn't do better on that. Uh, our next question comes from our last guest, Mina Naki. She says, what decade has the best movies? Cody, what do you think? This is a very good question. And um, there's a lot of very good answers. I think the 70s have, have a very, very strong case. However, uh, as I was talking about earlier, I think the 90s is my choice. Um, there's two specific years of movies um that I as well are just like two of the best movie years of all time i think wait, wait. 95 oh. is definitely one of them and let me see you're you're gonna say 98 no is 95 not one of them uh is that, no i don't think so okay well i was gonna say 94 and 99 uh i think that's what i meant yeah yeah 1994 Obviously, you have the big three, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump. I mean, that's... For right, 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 yeah. 95 Oscars, 1994 movies, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, my bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those big three is like all in the same year, kind of crazy. Also, 99, oh, man, you have so much good stuff. If you have time, just go look at the IMDb for 1999. It's pretty crazy how many good movies came out that year. One of my favorites, obviously, The Matrix. I mean, just... Uh, Fight Club. Like, yes, Fight Club, another... <laughs> you could just keep going on the list here. I won't bore you guys. The Phantom that. Menace. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but I think the 90s in general was such a great time for movie making just because you could literally make anything you wanted. Absolutely anything. I think the perfect example of that is Point Break. 
what the hell is Point Break, dude? It's Patrick Swayze, you know, they're, they're Robin, they're Surfid. I don't know. It's fucking amazing. Catherine Bigelow. I mean, you could, I could literally talk about every movie in the 90s. I won't bore you guys. 70s probably is the better decade for like just serious cinema. But I think the 90s has serious cinema and also that fun factor of such good movies that don't have to be serious. And uh, that's why I think it trumps it for me. Obviously, that's just like my take. Uh, I'm not a big like, oh, we have to watch only serious cinema. So that's why I'm throwing it to probably one of the more fun decades of all time, the 90s. I was going to say that technically it's probably the 90s as well. Uh, I think personally 2010s is probably my favorite era which is kind of a cop-out because obviously that's like the formative years of like we're biased biased. but i really think like 2014 to 2019 are like really good movie years specifically 2016 uh with like moonlight and everything that came out moonlight and la la land 2017 obviously ladybird get out two huge movies and then 19 i think was a crazy good movie year right before the the death of movies uh with stuff like parasite 1917 ford versus ferrari joker 2019 might be one of my favorite movie years, period. Uh, <clears throat> 2000s, eh, 2007 is really good. You get uh, Coen Brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson fighting it out, duking it out at the top with There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. Uh, but I think the 90s are the right answer. Like you said, 99 and 94. Uh, if you take the IMDb, IMDb top 40 movies of all time, 16 of the top 40 come from the 90s which is pretty impressive, like all movies all time. And then you've got like 41 of the top 250. Um, I really think 94 maybe is just the greatest movie year of all time, period. Beyond like, you know, 2019 is great, 99 is great, but I think 94 is just top to bottom, really solid. So I back that. Now we're going to move into our next question, which is kind of a three-parter. We had three different people ask similar questions. We'll We'll tackle them one at a time, but they might bleed into each other a little bit. So first one comes from another former guest, Liam Durbin. Uh, he says, are theaters dead? And do you think good movies will ever make deserved box office money again? Are theaters dead, Cody? Uh, I would say theaters are not dead. However, I think Liam does bring up an interesting point. Um, I don't know if good movies will make deserve box office as they did in the past um obviously theaters they were reeling for a couple reasons um one of them probably the biggest one being the pandemic but they were reeling before that anyways um and i think they found their niche of what makes good money and that's you know high profile comic book movies which i'm a bit big fan of so i'm not complaining however they had to survive to adapt or whatever they had to adapt to survive <laughs> Right when I was making a good speech, I can't can't fucking talk. But uh, yeah, they had to adapt to survive, and I think they'll continue doing that. I mean, you do have the outlier examples of of Dune. I mean, that made a shit ton of money, and it's nothing in like a franchise or anything like that. So I think good movies can still make great money. However, I mean, with the comic book revitalization and what Spider Man No Way Home did recently, I don't like the the trend that it's going and. I don't know if theaters ever will die, but I mean, at this point, it's not looking great, if I'm being honest. So I think Liam brings up a great point, but I still think in the long run, theaters will be fine. Yeah, I think theaters are going to change a little bit, and that'll move more into our next question, specifically my thoughts on that. But here's, well, I'll say first, if we knew the answer to this question, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast. We'd probably have jobs, you know, working for a studio, you know, if we were the soothsayers of if what was going to be <laughs> happening in the next few years. Um, 
I think something that like, especially for us, like living in Indiana, I think it's really hard to understand that like the pandemic has still had like a really large effect on like people going back to movies. Yeah, it's easy for us. Theaters are pretty much fully open here. People don't even have to wear masks. But first of all, a former chunk of people that went to the movies was like older people. And those people are not going back to the movies because they're just, you know, scared for their health, which makes sense. Also, like cities like New York and L.A., are like not really like theater. A lot of theaters have not really fully opened. There's still theaters that are closed across the country. There's limited capacities. There's like, there's just a lot of things that are having effect. Like people just aren't able to go back to movies yet. Like fully, especially internationally. Is that a good or bad thing? Here's the thing. When people say, will good movies make deserved box off money? I, I don't think that's necessarily fair. Like I think Spider-Man No Way Home is a good movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, if we want to talk about like the great movies, the Oscar movies, that that's an interesting conversation to have because what we're seeing is a lot of these movies premiering on streamers, uh, which I think, listen, capitalism bad, you know, pay, pulling a bunch of money to, you know, six different streamers just so you can see movies I don't love, but it's easily accessible to wide masses, which I think is a good thing when your movie was probably not going to make a ton of money at the box office. But having it on streamers where anybody can see it, I think is a good thing. You know, if a movie's on Netflix, I think that's more net positive than negative at the end of the day. Some interesting facts the, of the 2019 Oscars, which is movies released in 2018, one of those eight Best Picture nominees premiered on a streamer. 2020 Oscars, uh, so 2019 movies, like we were talking about that, really good. Two of the nine movies nominated for Best Picture premiered on a streamer. 2021 Oscars, which was obviously 2020 COVID year, five of eight premiered on a streamer. And then this year, we're probably going to get 10 nominees because they've expanded where they're actually needs 10 nominees. Uh, we don't, well, we do know who the nominees are at this point, but not as time of recording. If you take the top 20 based on like Variety's predictions for the top 20 Best Picture nominees, 10 of those premiered on a streamer if you take their top 10 six of those 10 premiered on a streamer so future corbin cutting in uh now that we have released uh the nominees uh four of them technically premiered on streamers uh with coda don't look up king richard and the power of the dog three of those being primarily streamer focused movies uh with netflix having the power of the dog and don't look up and then you have coda from apple tv plus I will say the Academy maybe is not as in favor of streaming movies and still considers the theatrical experience more important, but you know, what do I know? Right. We'll go back to the show. Streamer movies are becoming more prevalent in the Oscars conversation, which I think is kind of a good thing because these movies don't need huge budgets to be good. They don't need to necessarily make a lot of money. You can have movies like, you know, the lost daughter or, or tick, tick boom that are like smaller budget films that like, at the end of the day, if people are seeing them on Netflix, that's a good thing. Now, if you take stuff like Power of the Dog or Don't Look Up, which have bigger budgets, maybe those movies don't continue to get made. You know, we're not going to give Martin Scorsese $200 million to make a movie for Apple TV Plus in five years, but we're doing it right now. So this year, we're going to see a $200 million Martin Scorsese film on a streamer. And all you have to do is pay for Apple TV Plus. You don't have to, there, it's not going to have a box office re revenue, right? I don't know. Movies like The Last Duel, those are probably dead. But they're just movies about old white people in the 1600s. Like, who cares? Do we need movies like that? Those are the movies that are, you know, basically it's that middle-aged audience, like that 35 
to to 45 like movie directed audience which is like stuff like the last duel like stuff like that's not going to get made because it's a 200 million dollar movie that no one cares about so i don't think that's a bad thing either yeah i think just because something's a dead genre doesn't mean you should throw a billion dollars into it and expect something out um but as well i mean i think you do make a good point there like the pandemic still has affected a lot of different people and i don't mind streaming services you know taking over sort of the oscar bait movies category just because i mean not all oscar movies make a ton of money i mean look at shawshank maybe one of the best movies of all time absolutely bombed so i mean even if it is a good movie and it doesn't make money that doesn't mean it's bad that just means it didn't get out to the right audiences i mean maybe the last duel is good i haven't seen it but i mean like you said sometimes moviegoers aren't just going to see specific things in the big screen for a lot of different reasons, the pandemic being one of them, but I don't mind Oscar bait movies going to streaming services because it is super more accessible. I mean, I don't know about you, but most time when I go to a movie theater, it might not be for Oscar bait movies. It might be for more visual stuff or other stuff. That's just me. I mean, obviously I do go to see Oscar bait movies as well, but probably my first choice is going to be, you know, the bigger budget movie, just because on the big screen, I feel like you're getting your money's worth more sometimes based off of just, oh, I could watch this on Netflix at home and, you know, I don't pay, you know, shit for it, basically. I don't know. Yeah, obviously there's some movies like Dune that, like, you want to see in a theater, but I don't think, like, Dune's still going to get made, so I'm not too worried about that. The thing is that we're what we're really going to lose out on is, like, the mid-tier movie, I think. Like, Netflix is going to pump out some bad, shitty movies, like the He's All That's, the the Love Hards, the whatever, like, because they, they're cheap to make, they can throw like a star at the center of them. Maybe some people will watch them. And it's like super easily digestible film. Mm-hmm. You're going to get those. You're going to get your superhero genre, which I think is its own thing. It makes a ton of money. You're going to get basically big IP stuff. And then you're going to get your, your great films that you don't need a lot of money to make. You don't need $100 million to make a, a good you know a film. Like you don't need $100 million to make Parasite. You need 20, 40, whatever. Uh, so we're still going to get the artistic type stuff on streamers for, for a low amount of money, you know, whatever. But we're going to lose out on the mid-tier stuff that we've already begun to lose on. You know, your, your romantic comedies, your weird, you know, studio comedies, uh, just like that mediocre stuff that you saw a ton of in like the 2000s. Like we just lose out on those movies. Maybe they become TV shows. Maybe they're, they're just not around. And I think that's, that's what really dies in these scenarios. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just sort of uh, survival of the fittest. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a good thing. Like, do we yeah. do we need the two and a half star movies? Just you get less content, probably. Yeah, I think it's just two ends of the scale. You have really good movies, really bad movies, the middle stuff. Something I do want to comment on: horror movies have continued to prevail. Uh, Halloween Kills, I don't think was probably a great movie. Still made a hundred some million at the box office. Scream Two, or not Scream Two, Scream Five. Uh, is made like 120 30 million dollars at the box office and cost 24 million to make. Horror's easy, it's cheap, and you can make a lot of money. So yeah, yeah. Horror's on the rise. I back it. So continuing on with this question, coming from Pablo Villa, a uh, good uh, cinematographer friend of mine. Will the MCU ever die and will the movie theater industry die with it? This is a great question. Um, my hot take. I think the MCU will eventually die. Um, you know, maybe it'll be in 30 years, 
but I think we will live to see the day where the MCU is no more. And um, obviously, I'm not super excited about it. They could also do the thing in the comics where they just reboot everything constantly, which I feel like they might do. Um, but I don't think the movie industry will die with it. Like I was saying before, I mean, it just had to adapt over time. And I think if the MCU does go away, it will find something to, you know, fill that void per se and, and make a lot of money. Uh, thing is with movies, you can pretty much do anything at any time. So, I mean, it's hard to predict what franchises are going to be in the future. But I mean, when Fast and Furious came out in what, 2001, who would have guessed like in 10 years, that would have been the biggest uh, franchise of the box office for the entire decade or something. I don't know. It's hard to predict movies and stuff. This shit can come out of absolutely nowhere. But uh, yeah, I think the MCU will eventually die. But I think the movie industry will be fine regardless, even if it doesn't. But uh, yeah, that's definitely a great question, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously, movie t- ticket prices have continued to rise. Concession prices have continued to rise. I think movie I mean, theaters... What, what prices... I mean, true, true. Rise? Yeah. Right. But I think movie theaters are going to become more of like... I mean, I mean, still even now, people only go once or twice a year. But I, I don't think it's going to be like the ability to like go a lot I think might die out a little bit. It'll become more specialized. Um, But I think that could be a positive in like some features that they might bring in, you know, I I don't know, 4D movies or, or, or better experiences for people, you know, Um, I think the MCU has a really interesting year ahead of it. I know one of your hot takes that this was the year of DC and not the year of the MCU. Um, And you might be right there. Um, I think this is a big turning point seeing what they can do here. Uh, You know, it will die eventually. Sure. Like, everything does uh i don't know if it'll be in 10 years or 30 years or or this year but it, it will at some point point. and i think movie theaters will last longer than the mcu what if the mcu died this year <laughs> no chance like just everything was awful i mean <laughs> listen it's possible i don't know i don't think thor love and thunder is gonna be bad and i don't think multiverse of madness i don't know multiverse of madness might it could be bad dude. i don't know it might not be great there's it's been a tumultuous filming process from what i understand the production yeah. pre-production was a little rot with controversy so we'll see i don't really trust sam raimi these days honestly but that's just yeah me. they got rid of scott derrickson um that's actually going to come up later in another question so we'll save it for okay. later <laughs> uh so then our third part to this question comes from jason maynard my my former coworker and current boss like the video game world, big video game guy Jason is. Like the video game world, we're starting to get into a generation of a ton of remakes of old games because creators seem to be running out of fresh material. Do we think the same thing will happen with the film industry? And while I have bad news, it, ha- it has happened. I mean, it's, it's always, it's always yeah. been happening. First of all, it's already happening to where we're making remakes of video game movies. We're not even, we're not even just making remaking movies. We're re- remaking video game movies to the point of your question. Mortal Kombat came out this last year, which is a remake of a video game movie, which was a, you know, based on a video game. Mario coming out this year. They've already made Mario movies. Uh, Resident Evil. How many Resident Evils have they made? Absurd. Uh, but yeah, remakes have happened. They'll continue to happen. A Star is Born. That was the third time that movie had been made. Uh, you know, movies are always stealing from other texts though like that's kind of the thing about movies that makes them unique like movies can take from tv they can take from books they can take from comics they can take from video games they can steal from real life 
like that's what movies are they're constantly like re remaking and rebranding something that previously already exists whereas like video games aren't necessarily always based on like real life events unless it's you know world war ii and call of duty or whatever uh but a lot of times it's like purely original ideas so yeah now video games are reaching the point where they're remaking themselves but movies have always done this yeah my take off the bat is hollywood's been out of ideas for a long time so i mean basically anything that's made today it's it's got homages of some things it could be based off some other things basically any sort of movie today i I feel like it's just thrown together of you know a couple ideas a couple concepts but um i mean in general sequels reboots remakes like that's probably like 50 50 of, of what's being made in hollywood that and then you know comic book and some original stuff as well but i mean just look at a specific movie that came out this year uh the matrix whatever it's called uh resurrections there it is my god why is this being made no motherfucking reason at all and um that's just the state that hollywood's in right now i mean they will constantly be doing that and i mean now even that spider-man no way home came out and i've said this before but it's made a buttload of money i guarantee the next five years we're going to see so many nostalgia bay movies i'm going to want to rip my goddamn ears out because i mean at this point it's what is it like it's a top five box office grosser of all time and that format is easily easily repeatable for a lot of franchises and i do think we're going to see a lot of similar things maybe even in the mcu again so um yeah i, I don't know it's it's tough because uh with the video game genre like you said and you said like we've been bringing that into movies as well and there really hasn't been any good video game movies. So, I mean, if we can't make good video game movies and they're rebooting video games within video games, that can't be good for the video game genre. But <laughs> yeah, good question from Jason. I think the, the movie industry isn't as bad maybe as the video game industry of remakes and everything. There are probably a lot more original ideas in movies, but hopefully it just doesn't get to that point where we're similar exactly to the point of where video games are at. Well, two things. I think making a video game, especially like a really in-depth, like it's riskier. Like there's a lot. I feel like a lot more goes into, especially like your high quality video games take a lot more effort. You know, it's easy to make like maybe like a a one-off scroller or something small that then can get developed upon. And like if it builds crowdfunding, but like make a movie that you're just going to release. It has a budget preordained. Like, is it better? Let's remake the original Modern Warfare or let's come up with some new shooter game. Like, it's kind of obvious the math there makes. Are we going to eventually make GTA 6 or are we just going to remaster GTA 5? Maybe we just remaster yep. GTA 5 because it'll make us more money and, you know, whatever. Uh, w- second thing I wanted to bring up, I don't remember. I don't remember what I was going to say. So Good point. Good point. We, we will uh, we'll move on. So what's your favorite movie and why? This comes uh, another question from Cass. Uh, I just I did my top four, my letterbox top four, so we can just hit those. Uh, but what what are your favorites, Cody, and why? Yeah, my favorites. Uh, this has been stated before, but I'll go through it quickly. Um, you know, also I could say like around ten or fifteen movies here, and nobody would say shit. So all good. But uh, my top two, <laughs> uh, you got a rival, obviously, Denis, the boy, um, and then the Prestige as well, which I, I've stated many times. But yeah, those are probably my top two for a bunch of reasons. Um, mostly, I mean, writing, direction, acting, and uh, just the unpredictability nature of them. They both have, you know, massive, massive twists that, uh, you know, blew my mind a little bit. So, yeah, if you like uh, movies and, you know, live and watch on the edge, 
go check out those too. Carbon, take it away. My four, I think I've mentioned them before, but Catch Me If You Can, Social Network, Lady Bird, Requiem for a Dream. I would say those top three can kind of be in any order, interchangeable, and then Requiem's probably at four. Uh, Catch Me If You Can, I think it's just like super rewatchable, and I love Leo. And then you get Tom Hanks too, and the iconic, do a mice, fella, do a bucket of cream. I could, I <laughs> can't be any better than that. Uh, uh, social, social Network is like, David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin coming together, like one of the greatest screenwriters of all time and one of the greatest directors, like and perfectly meshing everything that is great about their styles together, evening each other out. Aaron Sorkin has the ability to like be too, it's similar to like Wes Anderson, like especially some of Aaron Sorkin's recent work is like too self-indulgent and he needs somebody to be like, hey, I'm going to direct this and change it. And David Fincher can also fall into the same thing of being too self-indulgent and too, too much of their own style. And like the two of them, like, butting heads a little bit and clashing and like we're able to create something really amazing with the social network uh also like you know looking back they were kind of right <laughs> everything about them you know in 2011 it's yeah. tough mark zuckerberg uh Wait, lady bird yeah his character dead right i think in yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. absolutely lady bird obviously i've talked about it so many times also rewatchable can connect with the characters and the themes really a lot i think when i watched the movie was a really pivotal point in my life and i i was able to resonate a lot with what you know was happening in the movie um and then requiem for a dream i think just like filmmaking wise is something that like i aspire to but like not not in the same way but just like it's inspirational uh yeah. and there's something there's some movies there's just like a few sub sub genre of movie that like can make me feel something that's like completely inexplicable and is unlike any other movie requiem is one of those the feeling is is anxiety and dread and stress and it's not a good feeling but it's it's unlike anything else i've experienced while watching a movie uh the last 20 minutes and and the editing is so unique and it, it's it makes a stylistic choice that i can really appreciate so those are my top four yeah all good picks now we're moving on to what's your favorite individual performance from an actor? This is coming back again. Luke's back with another question. What's your favorite individual performance from an actor? Uh, I have a couple that I wanted to mention, but Cody, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, this is tough. I mean, you could throw out probably a hundred different performances from me here. And again, nobody would say shit, but um, I have four. If you want to hear more about our favorite actors and actresses, why don't yeah. you go back to our top five actors and actresses episode? Yeah, the first three names I'm going to say were all a part of that episode, funny enough. Yeah. But uh, Amy Adams' Arrival, I've stated that multiple times, one of my favorites. Uh, Hugh Jackman in Prisoners. Oh, man, oh, man, that guy's insane. Uh, Mahershala Ali in Moonlight. So good. So goddamn good. And then probably my top one, uh, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. I mean, my God, dude. Heath Ledger... Just based off his other, you know, performances as well, it's just so head and shoulders above anything else he did, in my opinion. Obviously, he's, he's like, good at Brokeback Mountain and stuff. Like, he's good in other stuff. But I think what he did with the Joker will never be matched. I really don't. And um, sadly, it is his last performance as well. But, I mean, my God, that guy's amazing in that movie. He is that movie. And, um, yeah, that's probably my best performance of all time. Maybe a little recency bias, you know. You could pull out, like, Casablanca and you know lots a lot of bunch of the oldies but no stick to your guns come on what Heath Ledger <laughs> I, I did haven't was seen every, more I haven't seen every classic movie you know but that is my favorite performance uh I'll throw a couple out uh Leo and Wolf of Wall Street I think yeah. is the, the pinnacle of his uh, so I think that's my favorite performance of his but really you could pull any Leo performance and I enjoy it a lot uh 
little couple double double tandem performances here. I think Melanie Laurent and Brad Pitt both in Inglorious Bastards love those performances. Robin Williams and Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting, yeah. really strong, really strong. Uh, also, Matt Damon in Talented Miss Ripley is also really great. Uh, Sersha in Lady Bird, again, like just connection with that performance in that in that role. And then finally, I think what I, I've decided is is my favorite, and you're gonna hate this, but it's Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler. I just I. Aww. I rewatched that movie in the last like month or maybe two months over Christmas break. So good. So crazy. Uh, I don't know what it is about that movie. I really, I really love that performance. So Jake G and Nightcrawler. That's a good performance to be fair. I wouldn't argue that, but yeah. Uh, I also back everything you said. I, I think every, all your performances <laughs> are great. Uh, Marshall Ali is a, is a great get uh, for yeah. a supporting role. Uh What's your least favorite movie and why? This one's coming in from Cass again. What's your least favorite movie and why, Cody? This is a tough one. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I was trying to rack my brain of just a, an obscure pick where I was like, man, I really fucking hate that movie. But I feel like the main two for me that I do dislike very, very much is Star Wars The Last Jedi and <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness. Which... Ah, what about Chicken Little? <laughs> <laughs> chicken mill is pretty damn bad but the the thing with me is it's all about anticipation and um uh, maybe i'm not even doing this question right because for me these are two of the most disappointing movies of all time mm. just because i like the previous ones in the franchise so 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 much and it just drops off a cliff so i mean if we're basing it off that these are 100 percent obviously there's worse movies than these ones out here but for my like personal least favorite movies those are probably the answers because I fucking hate those movies. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned a couple at the 2021 podcast, some movies I watched in 2021 that were pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Bucket list, love hard, <laughs> just friends. Don't like those movies. Uh, one throwback one that I have not seen in a really long time. Uh, the first rated R movie I ever watched. I was way too young to be watching. It was a movie called splice and my sister was watching it on the TV and I and I I didn't see the whole movie, but I got bits and pieces, and I saw the ending. Uh, you ever seen this movie, Cody? I've not. I've heard some things about it though, but I've not seen it. Uh, where do I even begin? 2009 film. I think this may have been 2009. So I think I was nine years old when I saw this. So I, my eyes were covered for some parts. I I will admit. Uh, yeah. So the end of this movie is uh very strange. Uh but I don't really want to spoil that. Basically they make this, this creature, this, this thing, this like humanoid thing, uh, Sarah Polly and Adrian Brody do. And it starts out as female. And then like Adrian Brody ends up having sex with it. (laughs) But then it like, it kind of does a Jurassic park thing where it switches genders. And it then has sex with the woman in the movie. And then the end of the movie is that she's pregnant with this like weird <laughs> humanoid, like just a terrifying movie. It's got a weird tale. It's it's like a horror sci-fi movie, uh, but not not very good. That's my take. So yeah, very strange. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you you describe it great. I mean, I it. <laughs> just sounds like a maybe concept that in in theory sounds all right, but. We actually put it on the big screen like that. Maybe I would like it now, but I I, I feel like it was a little traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, you saw it at the worst time possible, I think, in your life, too. That's one of those that just, like, sticks with you when you're a kid, and you'll never forget it, I feel like. One of those yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> That's tough. We're doing trial, childhood trauma now on Uncap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a couple more questions to finish out. Again, from Cass, what's a scene from a movie you absolutely detest? This could go a couple different ways. I have a, a couple options, but Cody, take, take it away. Again, I was racking my brain for this one. And there was one specific scene that really stuck out, and it is super cliche, but I don't care. Uh, we're going back to Star Wars. A lot of Star Wars talk today, and we're not even going to The Last Jedi. We're going to uh, The Rise of Skywalker, and it is the ending scene where Rey calls herself a Skywalker. Um, I don't know about your theater experience with this movie, but when that happened... You're so everyone... sexist, Cody. No, no, no. <laughs> everyone was yelling... Don't say it. Don't say it. The shit. I'm a Skywalker. Everyone said, get the fuck out of here. Everybody just left. I was one of them. I legit just walked out. So, I mean, the movie's over, but everybody in unison went straight to the exits. I mean, that's about as bad as it can get, I think, when you have a consensus like that, too, where I was like, don't fucking say it. I know what you're going to say. And then she fucking says it. And then we all just walk out. It's that bad. But uh, yeah, if also the a great diction here, detest. I detest that scene. That is detestable. So, uh, yeah, the, the Rise of Skywalker, I'll never watch it again. And uh, even if I do, I'll probably just turn it off right before she does it. Because that might be as bad as it can get in the cinema. So, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, I was trying to come up with something like that where, like, it was a moment that I just didn't like the direction they went. But what I, what I ended up having was just, like, detest in the sense of, like, kind of a visceral, like, I don't like to watch this kind okay. of feeling. Um it's a little bit of like that like traumatic stuff on scene. so again like the ending of requiem which is a movie i love a lot but i kind of detest that scene where it's yeah. like i i love the way the ending is but also like the it's bad it's tall. awful yeah. uh you got to be prepared for it if you're and you're, <laughs> you won't be is the thing uh lapita nyango getting whipped in 12 years a slave is pretty detestable that's you know an amazing performance but really tough to watch and you know Black trauma is something that comes up a lot on screen and it, it might be a little too much in that moment, I would say. Uh, there's a movie called Train Spotting, which has Ewan McGregor in it. Uh, it's about heroin addicts. There's something that happens with a baby in that film, which is bad, uh, really very sad stuff with a baby. Uh, some stuff in Django, like the Mandingo fighting is not great. Don't love that. Uh, I just watched Okja by Bong Joon-ho. There's some like animal cruelty stuff in that movie, which again is hard to watch. And then American History X, somebody gets curb stomped, uh, which is also, again, something I don't want to watch. So, Yeah, the curb stomp. Oh, man. That one is uh, tough as well. All those you mentioned, obviously, just not fun to watch. So you took the test in a uh, different direction. That uh, is absolutely true. So, yeah, I 100% back all those tough, tough watches. All right. Our last question comes from uh, Claire Brackett, friend of mine from high school. Uh why is Timothy Chalamet so unfathomably attractive, Cody? <laughs> Great question, Claire. Um, my response would be he's pretty attractive in Don't Look Up. Other than that, <laughs> you know, I'd say he's about mid. <laughs> Long hair Chalamet I'm here for. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he's decently attractive for, you know, a human being. Could be better, could be worse. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know too much about this topic, if I'm being honest. I'll throw it over to Corbin. What, what's your opinion on this? You know, I don't know for the two people to yeah. that are the experts on this, but we've been called to answer the question, so we have to. Uh, 
I don't know. I've seen them kind of, you know, thrown into that like ugly hat, hot category thing where like there's something just kind of interesting about the way he looks, you know, the Pete Davidson. It's very in right now. The, the skinny white boy is, is, is popping off recently. So uh, I think there's something a little bit pretty about Timothy Chalamet. There's something a little effeminate that I think, you know, can appeal to a, a wider audience. I think that's probably listen. There's some people that don't think he's attractive. I've, I've seen the discourse well, on yeah. Twitter plenty of times, so he's, he's not for everybody, but. You know. Well, yeah, I, I feel like uh, attractiveness is very, very subjective. So, I mean, there's going to be people who don't think anybody's attractive at all. So it, it's hard to judge, you know. You know, I, I know Claire. I could psychoanalyze a little bit why she might think he's attractive, but I don't know if I want to get into that on the podcast. So. More therapy sessions on the pod. I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, all right. So that's our questions. Now, we do have two prompts uh, for kind of some things. So we'll get into that. Uh, first one comes from Jackson Mihuron who was just on the pod shortly ago, pitch a unique DC comics property to be turned into a movie, TV show, or series. What do you got, Cody? What's your pitch? I do have a couple. And um, I apologize for Jackson for not going super unique here. Um, I also did not go very unique, so okay. I'm sorry. My first one off the bat is not unique at all, but it's just something I really do want to see. And it's a genuine Lex Luthor movie. I think uh, most of the iterations of Lex Luthor um, in movie form have been very, very bad. You had Kevin Spacey doing whatever he did on a boat. And then obviously Jesse Eisenberg. I actually don't even mind that casting. It's just, I, I, I don't know what he's doing in Batman v Superman. He's some sort of just quick talking, quippy little little kid trying to run this mega corporation. I don't know what the hell he's doing. It's bad. It's a weird like daddy issues Lex Luthor. I don't yeah. know. It's not Lex Luthor, basically. It's a different character. But Lex Luthor is one of the best villains of all time, I think. And he matches up against Superman so well because he literally just beats him with his brain straight up. That's how badass this guy is. He's like that sort of Elon Musk type type of guy. Um, Steve Jobs sort of a little bit where they literally have every single amount of money in the world you could think of. And then you got Lex Luthor who is this absolute just like strategical genius. He always makes Superman look really bad in front of the media. Eventually he runs for president and wins pretty handily. I mean, this guy has a grasp on the public pretty well. And just sort of a, a movie variation of that where he's on the rise, you know, he's doing all the shady stuff on the side while still, you know, being this great public figure. Um, I think that's a super interesting portrayal of a character. And if you do it based off of more of a Lex Luthor movie and maybe just have a couple of shades of Superman in between, um, make him the like the sort of the protagonist, even though he's not a good guy in that sense, I think that'd be super interesting. But um, I do have another pitch as well, but I'll throw you have a casting there. for Lex Luthor. I said, keep it Jesse Eisenberg, dude. Just <laughs> don't do that stupid thing. Shave his head and um, make it like a mid thirties Jesse Eisenberg. I think he's a good actor. I mean, he can do a lot of different things uh menace not a strong suit you hate you hate on me a lot mm -hmm. for saying this type of stuff but i think jesse eisenberg a little too young for the role maybe give him a couple years yeah maybe give it five years i do back that i mean the obvious one that i was a big fan of is brian cranston but i mean i think that's the obvious choice i don't mind the casting of eisenberg just how that character was portrayed and written was god awful so i say give him another chance i mean nostalgia bait why not Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, I'll do my pitch and then you can do your other one, okay? Go for it, yeah. So 
again, not not really uh, unique, but I like Martian Manhunter a lot. It's a character I appreciate, and he's never really be d- done justice on screen. We get a sh- shitty version in the CW Supergirl uh, show, and then there's the half-assed Zack Snyder Justice League shows up at the end of his four-hour, you know, whatever the fuck that was. Yeah. So let's let's just go all out. Uh, make it a movie. I don't I don't know what the t- take is, but I just think Martian Manhunter is a really cool character. The shape shifting stuff. Uh, maybe it's a war movie. Maybe it's kind of like a detective thing. I don't, I don't know what the what the take is, but I want to see Martian Manhunter and uh, Tyler Perry. Give me Tyler Perry as Martian Manhunter. Oh, there we go. You know, you didn't have me until you said Tyler Perry, so I just hopped straight on board for that one. But uh, yeah, I think just like visually, Martian Manhunter is sort of difficult to do with the whole shape shifting thing. But I mean, if they can do it with Mystique in the early 2000s, they could probably do it now. So yeah, why not? I back it. Uh, but my other pitch was, it, this one is a little bit, it's not like super unique in the comics, but you know, for the general public, people probably don't know who this is. It's a uh, Guy Gardner. Do you know who Guy Gardner is? Gordon? No, I'm not familiar. Tell me about him. <laughs> he's um, a Green Lantern, actually. And mm. He's different a lot from the other Green Lanterns because he's a jackass. Uh, basically, it's this guy with his massive ego, sort of a dick. However, I think if we infuse, you know, some more comedy into DC, and especially Green Lantern, which, I mean, that movie was obviously bad, bad, bad. But the tone wasn't bad, I don't think. The, the execution was terrible. The effects were terrible. The story was terrible. But I kind of like the tone. And you know what? We're throwing Ryan Reynolds back into the frame as well, bringing back his Hal Jordan. Uh, he's obviously in a supporting role. He's probably in it for like 20 minutes. And then also you're interested in John Stewart, which is a very powerful character in the comics as well. But it is a Guy Gardner-centric movie. He's sort of like Star-Lord, except we're not going to cast Chris Pratt. Um, but I just want to see a cool Green Lantern movie. It's sort of like a buddy cop with John Stewart and Guy Gardner. Where Guy Gardner's just an asshole the entire time, and John Stewart sort of is just hard ass. Um, I think it'd be really fun, and it's something DC hasn't or probably won't try. And like, even like in the grand scheme of DC, like Green Lanterns are a massive part of it. For them to just not exist in this world all kind of sucks. So I want to throw in one of the more fun characters in, in DC and, and go Guy Gardner. Also, great, great initials. GG, come on. <laughs> nice. Uh, you mentioned buddy cop movie, which kind of leads into our next question, which technically yeah. might also come from Jackson. It came from the rough cut retrospective uh, Instagram. They replied to us. So my guess is Jackson. It could be Carter. Uh, but here's the question or here's the prompt. Ant-Man was a heist movie. Batman is like a crime noir. Pitch a new superhero plus a subgenre mash- mashup. So I have a couple buddy cop you mentioned. I want to see Spider-Man Deadpool buddy cop movie. Put those two together, Tom Holland, Ryan Reynolds, give them a movie to just screw around, make it kind of like, we don't need a huge, you know, world ending event, make it kind of small down to earth. Let's get Deadpool finally in the MCU with Spider-Man, maybe a TV show, have their own little thing, little six, six episode type thing. (laughs) I bag it. Yeah. But uh, I like those kind of movies, sort of like Ant-Man, where it's just like low stakes, but it's high mm-hmm. stakes for the characters a little bit. So uh, yeah, throw Deadpool and Spidey in a car. I'm sure shenanigans will ensue. So Dead- Deadpool always being extremely uh, over the top and inappropriate, and then you know oh, Peter cool. Parker trying to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah deal with that. 
Nah, I like to say I like a TV show too. I think give it more time, that would be very good. But uh, I have a couple as well. My first one, which I'm not too confident about, but I think could be interesting if they did it right. Uh, obviously, the Fantastic Four are coming into the MCU here, mm. and um, I want the genre of movie to be a romantic comedy. Um, the Fantastic Four, <laughs> they've had movies in the past that have not been super serious, but they've also been super bad. So, you know, I'm not too sure if this will work, but if you give me John Krasinski and Emily Blunt as the two leads, I think come off very believable. And um, sort of just their relationship is the linchpin to the Fantastic Four. Obviously, you have um, Johnny Storm being the brother of uh, Invisible Woman. And then I think Brent, Ben Grimm is just like the childhood best friend of Reed Richards. So they all have connections to the main two somehow. And sort of if you have just those two being the reason why the group is formed and why, you know, they all fight together. I'd also say my pitch, I'm just going deeper in the picture, but don't introduce Dr. Doom until the sequel. Just because he is such an iconic and very good villain. But Post credit tease? Oh, 100%. I, I'm down for that. I mean, I, I just want to know the core of the group first because you do have four different characters and then if you have a massive like villain who's going to appear in like multiple movies after this, I want them to be sort of like sharing 50-50 of the screen with the characters. And in origin, maybe that's not the best thing. So I don't know. It's hard to do the Fantastic Four without Doctor Doom in the first movie, just because that might be the most recognizable character from the entire series. But that's not how I do it. I just go rom com first one. Fuck it. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next one isn't necessarily defined to like the superhero thing. It could be any big franchise, but I want a legitimate horror movie. I know they kind of half-assed it with the New Mutants, like. It, it really seems like something that they've like been toying with, uh, even with Multiverse of Madness for a while. Yeah. Um, but they just won't do it for real. So just fucking suck it up and do it for real. Like I want to see either a Star Wars movie, an X-Men movie, a DC movie, MCU. I don't care what it is, but give me like a true horror, scary, like let's, let's make this legit. Like you can't tell me you couldn't make a good Star Wars horror movie. Like I think there's so many scary things out in space. Like do, me, do an alien type thing. Uh, obviously with, with, when you have people like James Wan and Sam Raimi, two of the biggest horror directors of the last 20 years, making movie superhero movies and not even doing this, I think you're, you're really missing out on a, a great opportunity. And even like Scott Derrickson, who directed the first Doctor Strange and was set to direct this new Multiverse of Madness, wanted to do like a straight horror. And there was disagreements with the studio. And then they brought in Sam Raimi, which is kind of ironic bringing in you know the horror director Sam Raimi to to not make this movie a horror movie but let's go all out come on give me something scary in like in the genre I think that could be really interesting I definitely agree with that and um, I think Scott Derrickson even said when they were starting to make um, Doctor Strange 2 like get ready for the first horror Marvel movie yeah and I think we're not gonna get it yeah it kind of does suck because it's sort of just becoming um, a multiverse movie which I mean may be interesting in itself but i think an, a pure doctor strange horror movie would actually be sick so yeah i do back that i think that's a good uh mashing i'm surprised the mcu hasn't done it yet honestly because there are so many good like modern horror directors working today obviously james wan's making aquaman which doesn't really make sense but in the fast and furious tone it kind of does i don't know i think i'm thinking of somebody else actually but uh that's no james name. james wan is that right yeah, he, oh, yeah. okay I always mix up those guys, but uh, Justin yeah, Lin is Justin. There it is. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
cut that cut that james <laughs> wan also did direct furious seven though so you're right oh okay well i thought i was completely off okay don't cut it but it still sounds, <laughs> sounds a little off anyways moving on i do have another one for this uh, it's probably another character you've never heard of uh and it's dc so basically this is just moving on from my pitch from the last one too it's uh the character is the question are you familiar with the question forward oh i'm the question's biggest fan <laughs> that's what i figured but um yeah he's actually a super interesting character and um uh, obviously the genre i want to put him in is a murder mystery however i don't want like the batman noir like the serial killer mystery that we're probably going to get in the batman which looks great to be fair but for this i sort of want um a la like a knives out sort of movie or um what's that uh kenneth brown movie uh, you're stealing my last thing basically really so- What's yeah, that yeah. Kenneth Brown movie where he's on a train? That one? Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. And there's another one too. Something like a, something on the Nile. Death, Death on the Nile. Yeah. yeah. With with Gotham the uh, with with the cannibal guy. Yeah. Yeah. But um I sort of want that style of movie. But the question is such a fun character to throw in that because he well, he, he's sort of over serious. Pretty sure that's an Agatha Christie novel, like the Kenneth Branagh Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. don't know. Uh yeah, regardless, uh, I don't know if you've seen, I've seen a little bit of Justice League animated series. Very good stuff. The question is actually a really fun character on that, which you wouldn't expect. But I think sort of, also he has like a face that you can't see, which I think would be really cool in live action. But I mean, just the contained environment for with him solving a mystery, but also being like sort of fun along the way. You could have a ragtag team of just like lower level DC characters, sort of like they did in uh, The Suicide Squad. But it's more of obviously like murder mystery. I saw you throw Amy Adams in as Lois Lane there. She's there for some reason because she's had nothing to do in the DC universe. But um, just a lot of fun cast, interesting characters, and a fun murder mystery. Can't can't go wrong with that. I don't think. Well, my last pick was also an adult comedy murder mystery type thing, uh, a la Knives Out. Uh, was my take, <laughs> but. I want Howard the Duck at the center of it. Oh, okay. I like it. And then also somehow get the Punisher involved. So he's going to kind of like come in as, as like, maybe he's one of the suspects, you know, it's, it's like, it kind of like knives out. You get a big cast of characters together who did it. They kind of did it with a what if episode where like, Oh, who, a murder mystery type thing, but it was yeah. pretty half-assed and shitty. Um, so yeah, someone dies. We got to figure out who did it. Howard the Duck is the, is the guy who's, leading the investigation so <laughs> i would watch that in an instant he's the benoit blanc of the yeah. <laughs> of the movie i'm a fan get shane in there from the walking dead of course dude. yeah yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> punisher is one of the in the marvel universe one of the better detective type characters really there's not there's not like a batman the world's greatest detective type thing so though punisher how the duck you know should be interesting uh yeah so that Thanks, guys. Uh, that was our Q&A and our prompts and our hot takes. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is the end of season two. Cody, any final thoughts and reflections on season two? Season two, it's been a good one, man. I think this is a, a great episode to end the season on. Uh, lots and lots of content for season two. A lot more in season one, which I did enjoy a lot. But uh, yeah, I think we're just making strides forward. We're going to keep trying to make better content for you guys who are still stuck around listening. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, really do appreciate the support from all you guys. We're going to have a bunch of new guests on this season, I think. A lot of people have supported Let us, us know if you want to be a guest. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. 
some new fresh faces around here as well. Some, uh, you know, returning favorites, but uh, yeah, man, I, I really did enjoy season two and uh, super, super happy. We're still doing this. Yeah. Listen, I think season two really expanded upon what we did in season one and made it better. And I think season three, we've got some big plans to continue to do that. Uh, we were able to do some interesting like one-off type episodes or even like some continuous series uh, that I think we can continue on with some new type of drafts and some new uh, looks at, you know, different maybe tropes or different things in, in the film and TV industry beyond just, hey, here's a weekly movie. We are going to keep doing that. Uh, we got some new categories and I'm really excited to debut those in the next episode. Uh, we are going to take a week off to prepare for season three and then we'll be back uh, in two weeks with uh, with season three. Again, let us know if you want to be a guest. Follow us on Insta, Twi- TikTok, and Twitter. We post TikToks. Posted TikTok. At, I, I kind of want to just like, and Cody, I, it, we talk about this off screen a little bit. I kind of want to just start like posting like even just stuff like one off videos that we make specifically for TikTok yeah. about you know top ten lists or, or our takes on things. So I'm sure we'll continue to do that. Um, thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for listening, and we're gonna see you in season three. Uh, peace. Peace. Stay capping. Stay capping.